fault lines. Live from the divided states of America in the belly of the beast here in Washington, D.C. Good morning. You are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Thank you for joining us out there on Rumble as well as 105.5 FM, 1390 AM if you're here in the D.C. Metro. We're in Kansas City at 1140 AM, 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM on that radio dial. I am in my triumphant return. The Vixen of Veritas, the Thrilla in Manila, Chan, along with still guest co-hosting. Yes. Wait, are you still Atomic MAGA? Atomic MAGA. Atomic MAGA. I'm sticking with Atomic MAGA. Malik Abdul, this is the show that dares to go there. This is Fault Lines. She's back. I'm back. <laughs> Trick or treat. <laughs> on, on Halloween of all right? days. Right? And I'm, I have my special t-shirt on because I wasn't here. Twitter. Twitter. Elon I got, Musk. I got my Twitter shirt. I used to have like tape over it to like cross it out because, yeah, because I So hate, now, I really so now you're free speech. Now. I'm trying to free the bird. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Still I like waiting it. on Elon to see if uh, that is actually the case. So far, I haven't really seen that be the case. I like it. I like it. But I'm still very hopeful. Uh, so what have I missed? <laughs> well, you've missed a lot. You know, done a great job. We com- completed the, the month yes, of working with Jamal. And I told him on Friday, I thanked him on Friday because I said, I got to, you know, for someone new to radio, yes. you're talking about being thrown into the lion's den. Thrown into the fire. So on that one end, it was uh, like uh, training. I got my training wheels with you. And then I had the experience with Jamal. And the thing is, is that you guys are totally different. Yes. But it was such a um, much needed learning experience for me. Now, we struggled a bit. On names. <laughs> and believe it or not, I can, I, I became uh, Manila in your absence. Really? So Jamal and I would laugh about it. He said, yeah, Ma- Manila is really good at this. He said, I'm terrible at it. We got some doozies. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm it sure. It was some doozies that we got. They, and I was telling, I said, our producers set us up. <laughs> they set us up with some names. But it was good. Well, it was good. That's how you learn. Baptism by fire, I yes. say. All right, with that, let's head over to, we got a lot of stories, a lot of stuff happened happened over the weekend. Let's head over to the main big story right now. Former Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula, as you might know him, da Silva, has clinched Brazil's top job on Sunday after besting the incumbent Jair Bolsonaro with just edging him out at 50.9% of the vote. Figures released by the country's election authority has confirmed with 99.96% of the ballots counted, Bolsonaro took away 49.1%. The ouster marks the end of a politically heightened period for Brazil's Brazil as Bolsonaro gained widespread attention for his accelerated destruction of the Amazon rainforest and the government's failure to effectively implement preventative COVID-19 measures as masking practices. Now, Brazil documented nearly 700,000 COVID-related deaths. And yes, I know a lot of people are out there disputing that, but that's what the official numbers are. The domestic news for today, 
President Biden has been mocked online. You don't say. After saying that Democrats went to 54 states. 54 states. Now, I don't know how much changed while I was on my non-religious sabbatical, but last I checked, it was 50 states. But Biden says Democrats went to 54 states in 2018 to defend the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare. Now, that blunder was made at a Philadelphia rally to attract support for Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. It infuriated a number of conservatives, including Ryan Forney, the founder of the Students for Trump group, who described POTUS as, quote, a completely senile guy. Well, I'm not going to dispute that one. (laughs) And now Vijaya Gadi's job at Twitter, and at my shirt here, where she worked up until Mr. Musk arrived, was legal, public policy, and trust and lead of safety. As the company's content policy chief, she made calls to ban then-outgoing President Donald Trump from the social media platform and to censor the Hunter Biden laptop from hell story, according to U.S. media reports. Now, Gotti was responsible for banning the 45th president in the wake of the J6 events of 2021. Now, in a conference call on January 8th of 2021, Gade reportedly asked 5,200 Twitter employees to be patient with her legal team as they decided on the future of Trump's account on that platform. So about three hours later, as we all know, Mr. Trump was permanently banned from Twitter after Gade and her team were slammed for allowing the then lame duck president back on the website for an initial 12-hour ban. Then another former president, Barack Obama, shot back at a heckler during a speech that he was making on Saturday while campaigning for Democratic candidate and governor, incumbent governor, Gretchen Whitmer, ahead of these midterm elections in just a few days here. Now, the crowd at a Michigan high school went wild yelling, Teach him, Barack, along with various shouts directing the heckler to get out after the former president scolded at least one of those hecklers for his lack of basic civility. Now, President Obama had been in the middle of talking about the political environment, which he identifies as being full of, quote, heated rhetoric in the wake of Friday's attack on the husband of Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi when someone from the crowd attempted to interrupt him and they yelled, Mr. President, apparently in a tone that was challenging of Barack Obama. So the crowd shouting continued. Obama said this. That's not a great way to do this. It's not. You wouldn't do that at a workplace. If you wouldn't just interrupt people in the middle of a conversation, it's not how we do things. Very dad of him, President Obama. (laughs) But then again, these are, these are kids at a high school that are about the same age as his kids, as uh, Sasha and Malia. So, you know, he knows how to talk to them. Then the internet was flooded with outcry on Saturday as footage from the trial that 
vacated Hastings' murder conviction circulated on social media, with some noting that his release alone is not enough to remedy the judicial wrongdoing. Video clips of the trial, which run just over a minute long, show a close-up of Hastings' face as his conviction is vacated. Relief seems to wash over Hastings as he closes his eyes in what appears to be a moment of emotional overwhelm. For the first time in over 38 years, he's walking as a free man. Now, many people cried out against the criminal justice system, with one Twitter user arguing that the state should heavily compensate Mr. Hastings for the losses and injuries incurred by this wrongful conviction. Now, others suggested that he be given retirement funds from, quote, every cop for every year that he spent incarcerated. Then over to international news, the Russian Ministry of Defense has stated that the UK Royal Navy officials who took part in the planning and implementation of a terrorist attack on the Nord Stream gas pipeline in the Baltic Sea on September 26th, quote, according to the obtained data, the UK Navy representatives took part in planning, organizing, and carrying out the terrorist attack in the Baltic Sea on September 26, 2022, to blow up the Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, says the MOD. Now, staying with Russia, the foreign ministry spokeswoman there, Maria Zakrova, stated on Saturday, or excuse me, Sunday, that the grain deal was disrupted by Ukraine and the UK again. There it is again, the UK. Now, the grain deal, quote, was thwarted by Zelensky and his terrorists who are led by British specialists in order to add food to nuclear blackmail. They are not satisfied with getting money and weapons. They need more death. The Kiev regime rests on this hellish throne. Money, weapons, death, she said. Now, at the same time, Moscow noted it is ready to provide a vast amount of Russian grain to the developing nations for free, free of charge, folks. Courtesy of Russia, here comes some food. Then at least 151 people were killed and 82 others wounded after a stampede occurred during a Halloween event in the South Korean capital. Now, according to the South Korean authorities, Around 100,000 people converged in Itaewon for a Halloween festival on Sunday, with the resulting gathering becoming the biggest in years, obviously, for post-COVID-19. So a lot of young partiers, young revelers out there, um, not clear yet on what set off the crowd for the stampede to happen, but uh, more than 150 people were basically crushed to death. Then former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss reportedly became fixated with wind charts and weather forecasts during her last days in office amid groundless speculations that Russia might use a nuclear bomb whose fallout could possibly hit the UK, according to British media. Now, Liz Truss elected back only in September to replace Boris Johnson spent only 44 days at the helm, technically 49, because she was technically still leading the country until that day that she put in her resignation. On October 20th, she announced her resignation due to criticism over the government's new economic plan and the possibility of increasing public debt for that implementation. So according to British media, 
Ms. Truss grew obsessed with weather reports after the UK intelligence told her that Russia might explode a tactical nuclear weapon over the Black Sea following Ukraine's terrorist attack on the Kerch Strait Bridge, also known as the Crimean Bridge, to demonstrate Moscow's readiness for a firm response. Then criminals in Finland have captured weapons, quote, destined for Ukraine, including assault rifles, says the country's the Nordic country's National Bureau of Investigation, the NBI. Now, NBI Detective Superintendent Krister Algren said on Sunday that they have, quote, seen signs of these weapons already finding their way into Finland. And he argued that the investigation into the matter is already underway and that routes and contacts for trafficking illegal weapons from Ukraine to Finland have been detected. Then the U.S. military is reportedly weighing the possibility of deploying multiple B-52 bombers to Australia in a bid to create a long-term hub in the region amid the Biden administration's ongoing tensions with China. Citing insiders familiar with the development, the Australian Broadcasting Group, ABC, the other ABC, revealed that approximately six bombers would be stationed at the remote Tyndall Air Base in Australia's Northern Territory. Then this day in history, I guess only two things happened. Back in 1918, the Spanish flu kills over 21,000 people here in the U.S. in one single week. Then back in 2011, the world population reaches 7 billion, according to the United Nations. Uh, but you know what? I think I'm hearing reports that that number is about we're about to head backwards. Numbers are dwindling again with birth rates and all kinds of people not making babies, people dying off, people not replacing themselves. So that number could probably be a reality again. All right. That's going to do it for your headlines this Monday, Halloween, October 31st. You're listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. All right. That was a short, uh, this day in history. It was. But two. <laughs> two things happened. Two. On this day, ever. But The no, Spanish flu, though. The Spanish flu. The Spanish flu. That's a big number in one week. Yeah. And it makes you realize, um, we're talking about COVID. Um, I, don't, I don't think we ever reached a billion with COVID. I don't think we did. A billion? I don't think we did. Like, Were we near. supposed to get to a billion? Is that what they estimated? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I stopped. Like, after those, not, yeah. Yeah, but it, it, it's I been a lot stopped. of people. It's been a lot of people, and we have uh, what seems to be, well, and, and I, w- I won't say a new wave. It's pretty much what they expect, you know. In the colder months, yes. flu season is worse. Of course. Well, they're also now talking about the RSV, the respiratory thing with, with young kids. So I was watching um, Fox, Nicole Sapphire. I, I follow Dr. her. Dr. Sapphire. Dr. Sapphire. Yes. yes, yes. I was watching her and she was talking about that virus and that she had mentioned like earlier, I guess maybe 2001 or 2000, she was talking about that they need to start testing because when they were talking about the number of kids who were getting COVID itself, she was saying at the time whether it, she was wondering whether or not the time, whether or not it was the same thing as this respiratory. RSV. Right. If it's that. It, whether or not, and they weren't testing for that. So she, what, what she was saying is that there is a possibility that a number of the kids who they said had COVID were actually 
had this whatever, this respiratory. But wouldn't they have tested the kids specifically, the nasal swab for COVID? For COVID, but what I'll... But they, like, would it have been coupled together? Right. So, like now, what she's saying that since a number of the kids now are being tested for whatever this respiratory thing is, that they're being tested specifically for that as opposed to COVID. So, Mm. what she was saying is that at the time, that could have, you know... It could have been in conjunction. Right. With COVID. I mean... And so one thing kind of complicates the other. You know how it is when they were talking about even the comorbidities. Yes. That if you have a comorbidity, you're more susceptible to getting COVID. But they could have been working, and I don't know, like, the medical terminology. But they could have, one could have exacerbated the other yes, yes. or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a thing. It's not some like some wild conspiracy theory, no, like this it. respiratory. What did you say? RSV. Yeah. It's not like a conspiracy. It sounds like a fancy car. Yeah. But it's like real, a real like um, thing. It's like a real respiratory Yeah, there is virus. a respiratory issue. Like it's not right. pneumonia. It's not, it's, but you know, it's. So it's not COVID. Right. It's more so this. And she said that that may be what people we're seeing now, now that it's getting colder, because as we can expect, flu numbers will also go up too, because it's colder for vi- viruses have less room to grow in cold when it's colder. Yeah. And other so, viruses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm obviously we're neither of us are medical professionals. Right, right, so. right. Trying to ex, trying to explain something, but I do know that's why hospitals are cold. They keep it cold ah. because germs don't survive as well in the cold. So it, you're it's less likely it to tra- you're less likely to transmit stuff in the air. It makes sense because it doesn't typically. Live. And it makes sense why why well depending on the weather why airplanes are. Colder, colder because yeah. they did that and that's and it was an interesting thing is that they were talking about at the time when we had this airplane you know the mass mandate on the airplanes but you oh, had gosh. all of these engineers <laughs> talking about the fact that how fast the air circulates yeah. per particle something that they have the filtration system that makes it yeah, more so Im- like impossible. a hospital yeah it's almost impossible yeah so it's more so there was more so like a hospital than like a regular than room like this room. yeah or a studio. And they knew this at the time. <laughs> yes. But w- the information didn't come out. Imagine that. Well, and even if it did come out, people kind of like poo-pooed it. Yeah, of course. It's like, well, you can't say that. Because like, everything is politicized like, like you, could, you literally couldn't say, well, is this, if I put this over my right. nose. Right, am I really like, stopping? I? <laughs> but they were saying that at the time, facial coverings. I know. And facial coverings were in. Look, you're talking to somebody who started. I pulled out my sewing machine and I you started. Made your own? I started making masks, and then I realized once I started doing some more reading, it's like. So you do realize this is just the. Like, this, this is, is not yeah, protecting right. you from anything. It that looks was just good. my excuse not to wear any makeup. <laughs> so you know, and I hate lipstick anyway. Gets all in your teeth and everything. Anyway, we'll save that for our open mic in in just a minute here. Let's go ahead and take a short break. Uh, We'll be back at 7.30 as well with John Kiriakou, who's out in Israel to cover. There's all kinds of elections happening. It's election season, folks. Uh, We'll be right back for open mic session. Manila and Malik, you're listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. We'll be right back. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. I am Manila Chan, along with Malik Abdul. We haven't heard you say Atomic MAGA 
Atomic MAGA. I wasn't I sure. Am, no, I'm still Atomic MAGA. I, I like that better than even Nuclear MAGA. I like yeah. I like the ring of Atomic MAGA. I haven't been able to use it for a while, so. I wasn't Atomic, sure if you still felt that way, though. Oh, yes. Oh, After. yes. And especially midterms are coming, right. too. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Atomic MAGA. Yeah. But I also like Durag Conservative. I like, I, I use you my do. I still hashtag my Durag Conservative when I'm on TikTok and Instagram. But on here, Atomic MAGA, I am your guy. Atomic MAGA Abdul. And speaking of MAGA, King MAGA, you know, kind of, you know, since we're talking about Donald Trump and Maybe Twitter. Did you see Every over time you the say Twitter? I gotta yes. Do the shirt. Did you see Elon Musk's um, comments over the? Well, he deleted a tweet. The so, one to Hillary Clinton. So it wasn't that one. Oh, there was a different. There one? was another tweet. If you haven't heard, um, he deleted a tweet about Nancy Pelosi's husband. Oh, I thought that was directed to Hillary Clinton because she said something about it. Is that what it was? Because I'm reading that's the chain I saw. Well, that very well. So what he tweeted, he says there is a tiny possibility there may might be more to this story Mm -hmm. than meets the eye. So you're saying that's what he was? Yeah, because Hillary Hillary Clinton tweeted something like condemning obviously the the violence and and I think we all should. I think it's safe to say nobody wants to see anybody Mm -hmm. beaten with a hammer, much less. Some an 80-year-old man. Know, an 80-something-year-old man. A helpless 80-year-old man. It's like a, such a clown. That's, like who, who, who attacks that? the elder? You know, Sick unfortunately, people. we've been seeing that a lot in San... If you look yes. at the videos of like the Asian-Americans who have been yes. attacked, it's not as if they've been 20 years old. I know. These are all elderly people. Like, yeah. What kind of coward are you to so attack th- it isn't an old new, person? You know, it's getting, of course, a lot of attention because it's the Speaker of the House's right. husband. It's Mr. Pelosi. But this type of violence has been very, very common. Very prevalent in that area. Yes. In that area. But to Elon's comment, I'm going to say there's a lot more to this story. And Michael Schellenberger, the guy that was running against um, Gavin Newsom in the recall, he got hardly any votes. But he wrote an op-ed about this in um, New York Post. About the... Because he lives up there. Mm. He's a Californian like me, but he's from the North. I'm from the South. Um, so he he was running against Gavin Newsom and he was criticizing, you know, the basically the open air drug markets there and the mental illness problem, how Gavin Newsom really hasn't addressed any of that. And he's, you know, that Gavin has decriminalized everything and that San Francisco, he even has a book called San Francisco. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he talks about all of this and he was criticizing everybody over this, that it's not, it's it's less about, you know, political violence and more so about the mental health problems in, uh, that are ravaging San Francisco, that it seems like people with mental health problems that are being shipped there or mm-hmm. that's just where they find themselves. But it's not a coincidence because people with the mental health problems are also, um, in tandem, people with addiction problems. Mm. Oh, wow. They usually go hand in hand, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, so it, mm-hmm. Makes sense. I don't know which, you know, which chicken or the egg, but I don't know which came first. But either way, they're in San Francisco. And this guy was the guy, I can't, um, his name escapes David me. David DePape. Pe- DePepa or DePape. I don't know. I, I pronounce like it DePape. I don't but know what the... Clearly, Looney Tune. Yeah. Like, clearly, 
crazy guy. Um, they, I think that was his ex-wife or ex-girlfriend that I saw that they interviewed and talked about the fact that, you know, something was clearly wrong with him. He thought that at some point, apparently, he thought that he was Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, hmm. he's, like, totally out there. Right. And, like... And everybody... And so here's, here's my thing about this story. Immediately when it happened, Republicans from Kevin McCarthy on wasted no time condemning it. They came out. It was across the board. Almost immediately, everybody came out and condemned it. What we're talking about now, and it's been in the news all over the weekend. Obviously, the story itself has been in the news all over the weekend. But we're kind of talking about what Elon Musk said. Now, here I am criticizing the media for talking about (laughs) Elon Musk as I talk about Elon Musk. But the reason that I bring that up, for one, we talked about the number of people who've been attacked in that area. In just Northern California. Yeah. So this isn't like a new thing. Hundreds. But the media is focusing on this Elon Musk story. And I think that... It's the spin, Malik. Right. They're, They're focused on the Elon Musk story. A couple of days ago, um, the media really didn't give any coverage to, I don't know if you saw the Marco Rubio supporter. Oh, yeah. So a canvasser for Marco Rubio was... canvasser, like the people that go door to door? Yep. A door knocker for Marco Rubio down in Florida was attacked. Beaten. I mean, you see him in the ambulance. I mean, beat up pretty badly, like he had been in a boxing match. And what they were saying is that he was told that he didn't belong in that neighborhood because he was supporting, you know, canvassing for Marco Rubio. Wrong team. So they're looking at this as a political attack. But you didn't hear much. Didn't hear about that. Yeah, you didn't hear much about it. And this type of, I think, political violence should be condemned at all times. I mean, violence should be condemned. Oh, yeah, the violence, Period. not just political right. violence. But, like, in that is, I think, very clear-cut political violence. And this like, was a kid. Oh, it was a kid? Yeah, it was what? a kid. Like, he may have been may have been a college student, a young college student. I mean, he definitely didn't look, look to be over 23 years old. So this was a young kid, and they're investigating it. Do they know who did it? Yeah, they caught him. At the house? <laughs> they caught them. Because it was it in was the guy's people. front yard. They, it was literally two people. They caught them. But that didn't, that wasn't a, you know, it, it wasn't, wasn't a, a news story. It wasn't a news story. Well, um, he's also not. Mr. Pelosi. He, he's also not Mr. Pelosi. But I do think that media, but the story, because I was reading the Washington Post article and I did see, I wish I could see what Elon Musk was responding to with Hillary Clinton, but because he deleted it, right. I can't see. The Hillary thing was just a very, you know, platitudes of, you know, we should condemn political violence, mm. blah, blah. But she made a direct point to say this was a politically motivated attack. Wow. And that's why Elon responded. So that's that, why he yes. did that. So that's yes. when he said there is a tiny possibibility that there that might be more. more to this story like, than meets the eye. And he tweeted, apparently um, was responding. Somebody posted something that I'm reading here on the Washington Post. Paul Pelosi was drunk again and in a dispute with somebody. So he replied for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could see the thread because yes. I'm not understanding it. but. He's, for some reason, then replied with that. Um, well, how about the irony? I know it was sarcasm. Yeah. But, I, I knew that that was but sarcasm, but I don't know. how ironic is that, that, like, 
less than 72 hours after the world's richest man buys in this like dramatic fashion, buys Twitter, right? Buys like the biggest social media network in the world mm-hmm. and says, the bird is freed. And then he deletes <laughs> And then he's tweet. like, oh, wait. Let me delete, let me delete this one. Like, hello, Elon. Elon, you know, you're a smart man. Twitter never forgets. Yeah. And, and he evidence. should be more responsible in it. Now that he owns Twitter, he's not just the, and I compare it to like Donald Trump. Now that you're president, you can't do the same things that you may have done when you were not president. Same thing with Elon well, Musk. I don't know. In a way, he's taking it private, right? So in well, a way, he can kind of do whatever he wants. That's true. But there is a level, a different, well, I'll say there's a different level of responsibility when you own a platform that's in the the news for... 24-7 in the news. Yeah. So I, I do, like, the fact that you tweeted it, then deleted it. That looks bad. Yeah. I think that's a gonna, bad look. If you're going to keep it up there, just keep you're it up there. It. Because otherwise, you're kind of conceding to this idea that exactly. it was irresponsible for you to exactly. do it. So don't feed into it. Donald Trump wouldn't have deleted it. Just <laughs> As we know, out. he I wouldn't would have deleted it. it. If not, you follow up with the tweet later and be like, hey, I was wrong for saying that. But leave it up. When you delete it, I think it looks worse. Mm-hmm. And in this case, like he's responding to Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. So you know, so all you the, don't get that contact. The Clinton trolls abounded, and, and and I read the entire Washington Post article because, of course, they ran to it and um, did the Washington Post article, and they didn't mention any context for his remarks. Yeah. So oh, when you click on, it, yeah. So that's I was like, well, what does this mean? Because well, it didn't make sense. Let me just say, a lot of more reasonable journalists, like the stuff that was going through my head. Glenn Greenwald, who has a huge megaphone, yeah, basically echoed everything that was happening in my head. Like, um, if how did Paul Pelosi call the police? Number one, who who was the third party that let them in and gave comment to police? Yeah, because we still don't know. There's a third person there, or a fourth, or a fifth, or we don't know how many right. people were in the house at the time. Right, which is odd. There's a lot of questions there that I was having. Like, and they're fair questions. Who opened the door? Who else was in the house? Because it's not clearly not just these two. And then one had a the hammer. Right, we don't know if it. he had the hammer going in there or right. did. And, now and they're saying he's got he had some other zip weapon, ties, zip ties, and some other weird. But I'll give stuff. it to him. If Paul Pelosi was the one that had the hammer, the hammer, hands off, Dad. You know, if you had a hammer and that's what you were able to grab, then hands off to him for at least being able to grab something. Well, what if room were they in? I want to know what room they were in. And, and it happened as soon as the attack happened. As soon as the guy. Basically, as soon as the police well, got there. Well, we, yeah, it happened while the police were right. present, which is very bizarre. Right. Which is, I mean, all they of that is really quickly. weird. They got there quickly. They yeah, did because get there it's the Pelosi house. Right. And it's an $8 million house, by the way. And what we didn't know, what, what Jamal and I didn't know on Friday, because we were trying to figure, it's like, well, how did they get there? It was a gate, and we didn't realize it. And when I was watching the news on Friday, I said, see, if, if Manila was in there, she would be able to explain to us, dudes, there is no gate. There, well, like, what you're thinking? It's not gated, like, in the See, we thought proper, that it was a gated community or something, and then it's, like a, a it's nice, on the corner. Yeah, it's a nice area that's, like, but it's on the corner. gated but not gated-gated, right. like closed See, off. See, we were just thinking that it was like some gated compound. No. Not like um that Republican couple that got in trouble, I forget what state, with the guns. 
the, the two lawyer people. Right, right, right. I know you're that's talking about. That's a properly about. gated community. This San was Francisco, not, no, no. Um, we thought that's what it was, but, but apparently like, it's not. It's a fancy area, so, mm-hmm. you know. So, it's an so eight million dollar house. They have security there, but and they have security cameras. Yeah, it's just a block. Where are the cameras? Where is the footage? Well, we don't have it's, that. Yet. We're never gonna have it. We're never gonna have it. Because let me tell you, I ain't in in, in no eight million dollar house, and I have cameras all over my property. Yeah, and it makes sense. Like in in this day and age, I got everyone's got cameras. Right. Come on. So I don't know. A lot of questions there. Uh, a lot to unpack. We'll keep waiting for more information before we criticize. I'll give it till Friday before I criticize some more. But uh, well, we'll give it yeah. to Friday. We'll have some more information <laughs> coming out then. But I think yeah. I think John is ready. Yeah, let's let's take a quick break, drink some water. When we come back, we'll be talking the first elections. We'll be talking about. I think it's the eight hundred seventy fourth in three years or something like that in Israel. Uh, John Kiriakou is out there to give us all the latest, give us the lowdown of what's happening there. So sit tight. You're listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. We'll be right back. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. I am Manila Chan along with Atomic MAGA Malik Abdul. It's time now to make a long-distance phone call over to Israel to our friend John Kariaku. Uh, you know him as host of Political Misfits uh, right here on Radio Sputnik. Obviously, he's also a CIA whistleblower. He's an author. He's John is a man that wears many hats. Uh, let's head over to John, who's out there in Israel. Good morning, John. Hello. How are you folks? Good, We're good. Great. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. You were out there. I think I lost count after 537 elections. Um, what number election is this in, what, four years, five years? Yeah, right. This is the fifth election in the last four years. And it doesn't look like it's going to be a whole heck of a lot different than the previous four elections. Although I'm, I'm going to make a prediction as, as we get deeper into our conversation. You're leaving us hanging here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll tell you. I I arrived yesterday. Um, uh, You fly into uh, Tel Aviv, of course, and and took the train to Jerusalem. Um, And then I I asked the uh, front desk at the hotel to introduce me to a driver. I said, I just wanted to drive around town. I wanted to look at um, campaign signs, right? So they connected me with a nice guy, Saeed, um, who's, who's English is as good as his Arabic. And we drove around Jerusalem. And the thing that that really struck me here was how you don't see very many of the mainstream parties out there advertising and campaigning. There are signs everywhere for these extreme right-wing parties, like this new party called, well, it's not new really, it's, it's called United Torah Judaism, UTJ. Its leader is a guy named Yitzhak Goldnoff. He, he looks like an Ayatollah, to tell you the truth. Um, and I was confused because I had never, I had never seen these signs before. But this is a party that was founded in the early '90s that has merged with two other Orthodox parties and is really going to be something this time. Another one is is the party Shas. It's another right wing party led by a former member of the Knesset by the name of Ari Derry. Uh, we're not seeing Likud. We're not seeing 
uh, the uh, the joint list. We're not seeing the Arab parties. And I, I went through East Jerusalem last night. You wouldn't have any idea there was an election there. But in these in these ultra-Orthodox and far-right-wing pockets around the city, it looks like these are the guys that, that people are going to vote for. Now, John, we know that the the two big parties are the two big big names running uh, for prime minister. Bibi's trying to stage a comeback. Um, he's still being indicted. He's still indicted right now, I believe, right, for corruption charges. He's under indictment, and his wife is under indictment, also on corruption charges, and nobody cares. <laughs> nobody even wants to talk about it. You know, then this is the thing. I was here six weeks ago on another issue, and I couldn't help but to ask people about the election. And I asked everybody that I talked to the same question, is this election going to be any different from the previous, you know, four? And to a to a person, they said, no, it's not going to be any different. There are only two issues that anybody cares about, security and either you love Benjamin Netanyahu or you hate him. And right now, people seem to be leaning on the love side. Really? They're it's crazy, right? Really? But what is what is what is driving that? I mean, I ah yeah. See, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question, Malik. I asked that as well. And what it is is that he's conservative and seen as a hardliner, but not overly religious. That's the key right there. They want somebody who's going to be out there ordering ordering troops to crack heads in in uh, Palestinian towns and, and villages, somebody who's going to continue expanding uh, settlements, but not somebody who's so tied up in religion that he can't focus on other things. So they don't, they don't want a zealot, a religious zealot of sorts. See, and, and this is the dichotomy, because these, these ultra-right-wing Orthodox um, uh, uh, political parties that I was talking about a, sen- a second ago, um, they are religious zealots. And Likud, of course, because there are so many viable parties here, there are something like 36 that are competing in the elections right now. And there are going to be eight, somewhere between eight and 11 that are going to actually make it. So there's going to have to be a coalition. Well, Netanyahu is perfectly happy to work with the religious parties to make his, uh, his uh, majority to, to get his mandate, um, but doesn't want to be necessarily beholden to them for security. So when there is a coalition that finally comes out of this, and it could take, you know, it could take weeks, it could take a month even, um, these religious parties are going to have things like the Ministry of Housing, for example, the Ministry of Culture, the Ministry of Religious Affairs. They're not going to have foreign affairs, defense, and security. That's going to be Netanyahu. Now, John, here's here's what you know. I, what sparks a thought in my brain is that we know under Netanyahu for I think he was in office what twelve years or something like that, twelve thirteen years. Yeah, almost thirteen years. We saw a major expansion of, um, we'll call it housing developments along Gaza um, and the West Bank. And right now we're seeing a huge surge of violence against um, the Palestinians. I think this has been probably the deadliest year, if not the second deadliest year, that people were 
we're saying that there's potential here. There's kindling for this fire for this to become another intifada. And to see Benjamin Netanyahu rise once again despite his current indictment status, what does that say to you about the sentiment right now um, with the Israeli voters? You've got to, you've got to come out here and actually experience it to to appreciate the level of of hatred that that Israeli Jews have for Palestinian Arabs or Palestinian Muslims. That that you know in the in the West and especially in the United States. We always talk about the two-state solution. It's been it's been a, a cornerstone of American policy in the region for decades. And, you know, I have more of a chance of becoming the Israeli prime minister than anybody out here has for there being a two-state solution. It's just not in the cards. Almost no party supports it. There's a minor left-wing party that, uh, that still has as a part of its platform support for a two-state solution. It's just not going to happen. And you're right, Manila, violence is, is up dramatically uh, this year. There's a new group called the Lion's Den that that appeared, oh, I'm going to say in the last eight weeks in the, in the Palestinian city of Nablus. The Israelis are taking this very, very seriously. And people are talking about it. I mean, Israeli Jews are talking about it. Um, they're they're worried that it's going to spread into something that they can't control. And so Israeli Jews want their government, want their security services to be heavy-handed in their response to violence in Ablus and anything being attributed to the lion's den. I think you're exactly right. I think it's yet another intifada that they're that they're afraid of, and rightly so. John, question for you. Since the Liberal Party pretty much has lost much, much of its popularity there, um, along with other lefties like in Israel, do you think we'll see another battle between the right wing and far right wing and kind of far left? Do you think we'll see another battle between the left and right wing parties there? I think we'll see a battle between the right and the slightly less right. Yes, I was mm. going to say the mm. right and the far right and the farthest, farthest extreme right. <laughs> right. There, you remember in the last election, um, there was a Benny Gantz, the former defense minister, had a party called the Blue and White Party. And very briefly, he entered into a coalition that was supposed to have made him prime minister. Um, his government, his coalition didn't last that long. So for this election, Benny Gantz's Blue and White Party um, merged with another party called the uh, the New Hope Party. So the idea, <coughs> excuse me, the idea is that if they win, and they likely won't, um, they want to establish a, a centrist government that uses elements from both the left and the right while not forsaking security, this is something that's a part of their platform. So, you know, it might be, it might satisfy those of us in the United States who wish that that there, you know, still existed an Israeli left. But um, I, I think it's just not, it's it's not going to come to pass. There's still a a labor party, for example, but. It's so unpopular now. And remind, remember, this is the, the Labor Party that ruled, or that led Israel for, for decades, for generations. It's so minor now 
that it's in danger of not being represented in the next Knesset. Now, John, speaking of elections and, you know, the other side here, we'll we'll say the Palestinian Authority, right? Right. I know they're kind of, they've been pretty dormant, I would say, despite the the rise in um, Israeli officials, um, or at least police officials, covering up the deaths of all these Palestinians who are getting shot and killed. We've not heard much from Mahmoud Abbas. They have, he has punted on elections for, I don't know, what, 16 years or something like that, that he right. was a That's right. very long time. The Palestinian Authority hasn't held any in a long time either. Would that make any difference right now? And, and should they? Should I mean, given that it looks like Israel is, it's always teetering to the right, it depends on how far right you want to go. Is there anything on the part of the Palestinians of how they should be responding to this yet, you know, a, a fourth fourth elections in five years? Meanwhile, to contrast, the Palestinian Authority has held none in almost 20. Yeah, the Palestinian Authority is is not democratic. It's just not. And it is as weak as it's ever been. I'll tell you the truth. Nobody even mentions the name Mahmoud Abbas here. Not even mentioned. Nobody cares to work with him or or with the PA. They're not they're not, you know, in in a state of partnership right now other than on the broadest security issues. Uh, there was an incident a couple of nights ago that's getting a lot of press here. There's a small uh, Greek Orthodox church outside of Bethlehem and um there was a, a liturgy service late in the day and when parishioners were coming out, a group of Palestinians uh, threw stones at them. Nobody was injured. No big deal. It was probably kids. But this is being treated as a major terrorist incident. And so the Israeli press is beating up on Abbas and the Palestinians today, saying, look, they can't even round up a a handful of stone throwers throwing stones at Christians. How are they going to help to protect Israeli Jews? They can't. And so there's just no real desire uh, to work with the Palestinians. Let me make one other comment about about the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm suffering from a, an allergy. Uh, uh, I want to make a comment about um, the Arab-Israeli parties. There are three now. There used to be two. And um, and one of them is, a, uh, is an Islamist party. It runs just because it's able to run. The other two are, of course, Palestinian parties willing to work within the Israeli structure, the political structure that they've been allowed. And their sole focus is on putting an end to settlements. That's it. They're not interested in talking about terrorism. The two-state solution is dead. So they're running just for the sake of running. But because there are three different Arab Arab parties for this minuscule number of Arab Israelis, they likely won't even be uh, a factor in the Knesset this time. You know, they they only they had like six seats and were briefly part of the last coalition government. They may fall to two and not be asked to to uh, to join any new government. So the Palestinians really are sort of upside down politically right now. Well, John, what about I mean, we've talked about just now the Palestinian Authority not holding any elections and 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 now further to that, you add the likely loss of seats within the Knesset by any P 
people of Palestinian uh, heritage or any any Arabs that are living in Israel, um, I would I would venture to say that historically the the Arabs that are in Israel, um, I would say they typically aligned more with the the old Labor Party or anything that leaned a little bit m- more left. Do you think yes. that that the the more modern day Israeli voter that they're not the left isn't very popular is because they are willing to negotiate with Palestinians. It's that they are trying to create more friendlier relations. And then the rise of the right has basically just trounced all over that kind of ideology. In part, yes. The other part is that over the last 20 years, Israeli politics have been utterly transformed by the arrival of more than a million Russians, right? As soon as the Soviet Union fell apart, um, Russian Jews began to emigrate to Israel. In the last 20 years, that became just a flood. And so the, the, whole, the whole makeup of the Israeli body politic has changed. You know, you, even on TV now, um, there are Israeli TV channels that are just in the Russian language. That's it. Really? And that's new. Yeah. Just in Russian. You have you have uh, parties and and, and senior uh, senior Knesset members like Avigdor Lieberman, for example, who give their speeches in Russian and their campaign commercials broadcast in Russian. So in part, it's because all of these right wing Russian Jews have emigrated here and they've essentially seized political power. That's one thing. The other thing is the the left just cannot get its act together. Like I said a few minutes ago, the the Labour Party ran this country for decades. Now it's broken up into four or five different parties. The the uh, Benny Gantz's Blue and White Party uh, that nearly won the election uh, last time has now broken up into three different parties. There's a new one. Um, it's kind of funny. It's headed by a Palestinian, an Israeli Arab by the name of Sami Abu Shahada. He broke off from blue and white to create a new party called uh, called Baled, which means uh, the nation. It's unaffiliated, used to be part of the joint list, and um, and its its platform is full and equal citizenship for for all residents, including Palestinians, free education at every level, and quote a state of all its citizens, replacing Israel's constitutional definition as a Jewish state. That's great, but nobody's going to vote for this guy. Yeah, that's not a, a popular campaign slogan, I have to say. Now, John, I, I'm curious to know what you think about, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the whole um, the Russian immigrant thing to Israel because this weekend, I can't remember if it was yesterday or maybe it was Saturday, but um, with the Ukraine conflict still ongoing and obviously Volodymyr Zelensky constantly making his TV rounds and and talking to the press nonstop. He recently brought up Israel this weekend, and he basically called on Israel to weigh in on this and that their their position of of neutrality or ambiguous, your strategic ambiguity, that that time has come to an end, that they have to choose sides now and take action. So given that as you said, there was a huge influx of Russian Jews uh, immigrating into Israel. 
do you foresee whoever gets elected prime minister, do you foresee them taking any action? And, and what way would they lean? I don't think so. That's a terrific question. And, and it's a difficult one to answer because with as enormous a Russian population as they have here, they have also another giant population of Ukrainian Jews. And, you know, for the most part, for the most part, the Russian Jews and the Ukrainian Jews are here for a reason. They, they, they weren't able to make it, you know, back home. There weren't economic opportunities. They had uh, disagreements with their governments and they just want to be left alone. They see themselves now more Israeli than they do Russian or Ukrainian. And so, so far in this conflict, you know, going all the way back to February, they've really wanted to remain neutral. They just don't want to be involved. Now, if Benjamin Netanyahu gets involved as prime minister again, that could change because he's American. He was born in Chicago and raised in Chicago. He's not, uh, he's not Russian or Ukrainian. And he would be, I would, I would guess, more willing to work with the United States on Ukraine than, uh, than anybody that the, uh, that the Israelis have had in a position of power since February. So uh, the answer is, is hard to, um, to convey really. I think the, the appropriate answer is maybe, maybe if it's Netanyahu. Yeah, but we've also seen Bibi have a great relationship with Vladimir Putin, which he was often criticized for. Yes, he has. He has. Um, but, but at the same time, he's the one that wants to build to rebuild his relationship with uh, with American political leaders, especially with Republicans, right? Netanyahu and the Republicans got on famously. And if and if Netanyahu believes that Republicans are going to win uh, the next presidential election, I think he'll fall in line and do what the Republicans want him to do. Now, by the time that happens, maybe the Republican Party as a party will have turned against Ukraine and it'll make that transition easier. But in the meantime, I think he'll he'll do whatever Washington asks him to do. Or I don't know. A lot of people would argue the other way around that Washington does what Israel wants to do. But <laughs> Well, yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. <laughs> good one, Manila. Well, the, yeah, these elections, I just, I literally cannot keep up, John. I mean, I joke and say it's the 537th that they've had in three and a half years. But I mean, it's something. It's crazy and it's expensive. Yeah, why? Why does this keep happening, John? Oh, my God. They have. Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. They have so many political parties here and <laughs> such a low threshold for Knesset representation that an outright leader, an outright winner is just impossible. Impossible. You can't get 50% when you have 36 parties running. You can't get 50% when you have, you know, six, seven, eight parties represented. And everybody wants something different. Like these religious parties, they'll give you their votes in a coalition, but you have to make them, you have to make the head of their party uh, minister of religious affairs. And what they're <laughs> going to do is they're going to shut off all the elevators on the Sabbath, which they actually did. Wow. So now on this, yeah, on the Sabbath, you can take an elevator, but it's pre-programmed to stop on every single floor because pressing a button is seen as work and you can't work on the Sabbath because it's a sin. So you just get in the elevator and it stops at every single floor until you get out. 
That's what happens when you make a coalition government with ultra-religious political parties. I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> it drives me crazy, I have to tell you. I asked for a for a room on the second floor this time. Oh, okay, yes, good, good. So you can just walk up and down the stairs the whole That's the right. entire if week. That's right, you left alone. <laughs> All right, we'll leave that. We'll leave that right there. John Kiriaki, the elections are tomorrow, I believe. And will we be having you back on? I look forward to it. I'm at your service. All right. You keep your eyes and ears peeled out there because I don't know. There's you're going to have to take lists of all the different names of the people running because 875 parties and <laughs> three three different ministers within the past yes. couple of years. And yeah. just like weeks. These they throw them out, you know, with the bathwater. Uh John Kiriakou, thank you so much. He's the host of Political Misfits. You can find him uh, right here on Radio Sputnik, we'll be uh, checking in with John this week while he's out in Israel covering, covering the elections there. John Kiriakou, thank you so much. All right, so I literally, I, I make jokes, but only because, you know, everybody else's election, like, uh, okay, Liz Truss, gone, right? Bojo, mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. That was three months ago. Two and a half months, Liz Truss, gone. Now this guy, I'm kind of sad because Rishi Sunak, is my age. I'm, it, it finally happened. That's not how you pronounce his name. Joe Biden said that his name was Rashi's, Rashi, Rashi Sanuk. No, Rashi Sanuk. Sanuk. Yeah, yeah, Rashi Sanuk. <laughs> I think he's mixing it up with the gas station. Sanoko, is that one? <laughs> Rishi Sanoko. Yeah, I'm the same age. I knew it was going to happen one day. Right. I'm the same age as a political leader, of a, a leader of a country. So here it is. It happened. All right. We hear the music. Let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, You are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. I am Manila Chan, the Vixen of Veritas, along with Atomic MAGA, Malik Abdul. We'll be right back after this. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America in the belly of the beast in Washington, D.C., good morning, happy Monday. You are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Thank you for joining us on Rumble 105.5 FM and 1390 AM in the D.C. Metro. We are in Kansas City at 1140 AM, 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM on your radio dial. I am the... Remaining Atomic MAGA host, along with the Thriller and Manila, the Vixen of Veritas, is back with us, Manila Chan. This is the show that dares to go there. This is Thought Line. Main story of the day. Former Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva clinched Brazil's top job Sunday after besting incumbent Bolsonaro with 50.90% of the vote. Figures released by the country's election authority confirmed. With 99.96 of the ballots counted, Bolsonaro gained 49.10%. The ouster marks the end of a politically heightened period for Brazil as Bolsonaro gained widespread attention for his accelerated destruction of the Amazon rainforest and the government's failure to effectively implement preventative COVID-19 measures such as masking practices. Brazil documented nearly 700,000 
COVID-related death. In domestic news, U.S. President Joe Biden has been mocked online after saying that Democrats, quote, went to 54 states in 2018 to defend the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. The blunder made by the 46th U.S. president at a Philadelphia rally to attract support for Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman infuriated, maybe not infuriated, humored many conservatives, including Ryan Fournier, founder of the Students for Trump group, who described POTUS as a completely senile guy. Now I'll say this, Donald Trump was called dumb when he got it wrong. Joe Biden, he's just a little senile. Vijaya Gade's job title at Twitter, where she worked until Musk's arrival, was legal, policy, and trust, public policy and trust and safety lead. As the company's content policy chief, she made bans to ban, she made calls to ban then outgoing U.S. President Donald Trump from the social platform and to censor the Hunter Biden laptop from hell story. This is according to U.S. media reports. Gade was responsible for banning the 45th U.S. president in the wake of the January 6, 2021 events. In a conference call on January 8, 2021, Gade reportedly asked 5,200 Twitter employees to be patient with her legal team as they decided on the future of Trump's account on the platform. About three hours later, Trump was banned permanently from Twitter after Gotti and her team were slammed for allowing the then lame duck president back on the website after an initial 12-hour ban. Former U.S. President Barack Obama shot back at a heckler doing a speech he was making on Saturday while campaigning for Democratic candidate and Governor Gretchen Whitmer ahead of the November midterm elections. The crowd at a Michigan high school went wild yelling, teach him, Barack, teach him, along with various shouts directing the heckler to get out after the former president scolded one of the hecklers for his lack of basic civility. On Saturday evening, Obama had been in the middle of talking about the political environment, which he identifies as being full of heated rhetoric in the wake of Friday's attack on the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi when someone from the crowd attempted to interrupt him, yelling, Mr. President, loudly from the audience in a tone that appeared to be challenging. The former commander-in-chief, the crowd shouting, continued as Obama managed to say, that's not a great way to do this. It's not. You wouldn't do that at a workplace. You wouldn't. If you wouldn't just interrupt people in the middle of a conversation, it's just not how we do things. Pretty interesting coming from Barack Obama. Maybe he should have a conversation with his former vice president of the United States who goes around calling people who support Donald Trump or are pro-life as extremists. Seems like that's the pot calling the kettle something that you cook with. Ah. A man who spent more than 38 years behind bars for a 1983 murder and two attempted murders has been released from a California prison after long untested DNA evidence pointed to a different person, the Los Angeles County District Attorney said on Friday. 
The internet was flooded with outcry on Saturday as footage from the trial that vacated Maurice Hastings' murder conviction circulated on social media, with some noting that its release alone is not enough to remedy the judicial wrongdoing. Video clips of the trial, which run just over a minute long, show a close-up of Hastings' face as his conviction is vacated. Relief, which I imagine is an understatement, seems to wash over Hastings as he closes his eyes in what appears to be a moment of emotional overwhelm. For the first time in 38 years, he will walk free as a man, as he will walk as a free man. Many citizens cried out against the criminal justice system with one Twitter user arguing that the state should heavenly compensate Hastings for the losses and injuries incurred by the wrongful conviction. Others suggested Hastings be given retirement funds from every cop for every year he spent in incarceration. I'm not going to disagree with them on that one. A wrongful conviction and for 38 years this man was in jail? Yeah, California owes this man some money. In international news, the Russian Ministry of Defense, MOD, has stated that UK Royal Navy officials took part in the planning and implementation of a terrorist attack on Nord Stream gas pipeline network in the Baltic Sea on September 26. Quoting, according to the obtained data, the UK Navy representatives took part in planning, organizing, and carrying out the terrorist attack in the Baltic Sea on September 26, 2022 to blow up the Nord Stream 1 and the Nord Stream 2 gas pipelines, the MOD said in a statement on Saturday. At least 151 people were killed and 82 wounded after a stampede occurred during a Halloween event in, South in the South Korean capital. According to the South Korean authorities, 100,000 people converged upon Itaewon for the Halloween festivities on Sunday, with the resulting gathering becoming the biggest in years amid the recent ending, easing of COVID-19 restrictions. More international news. Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zaharova stated on Sunday that the grain deal was disrupted by Ukraine and the UK, quoting, the grain deal was thwarted by Zelensky and his terrorists, who are led by British specialists in order to add food to nuclear blackmail. They are not satisfied with getting money and weapons. They need even more depths. The Kiev regime rests on this hellish throne, money, weapons, death. The diplomat noted lambasting accusations against Russia. At the same time, Moscow noted it is ready to provide a vast amount of Russian grain to the developing nations for free. Former U.S. Prime, U.K. Prime Minister Liz Truss reportedly became fixated with wind charts and weather forecasts during her last days in office amid groundless speculations that Russia might use a nuclear bomb whose fallout could possibly hit the U.K., British media has reported citing sources. Truss, elected in September to replace Boris Johnson, spent only 44 days at the helm of her country. On October 20th, she announced her resignation due to criticism over the government's new economic plan and possibility of increasing public debt 
for its implementation. It is worth noting that Liz Truss did not outlast the head of lettuce that was laid out for it. According to British media, Truss grew obsessed with media weather reports after the UK intelligence told her that Russia might explode a tactical nuclear weapon over the Black Sea following Ukraine's terrorist attack on the Kerch Strait Bridge, also known as the Crimean Bridge, to demonstrate Moscow's readiness for a firm response. In more international news, criminals in Finland have captured weapons destined for Ukraine, including assault rifles, the Nordic countries, National Bureau of Investigation, NBI, has revealed. NBI Detective Superintendent Krister Algren said on Sunday that they have seen signs of these weapons already finding their way to Finland. He argued that the investigation into the matter is already underway and that routes and contacts for trafficking illegal weapons from Ukraine to Finland have been detected. The U.S. military is reportedly weighing the possibility of deploying multiple B-52 bombers to Australia in a bid to create a long-term hub in the region amid the Biden administration's ongoing tensions with China. Citing insiders familiar with the developments, the Australian Broadcasting Court revealed approximately six bombers would be stationed at the remote Tyndall Air Base in Australia's Northern Territory. And on this day in history, we have two quick ones for you. The 1918 Spanish flu kills 21,000 people in the U.S. in a single week. And in 2011, the world population reaches 7 billion inhabitants, according to the United Nations. These are your headlines for today, Monday, October 31st. You are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Yeah, how about that? 7 billion people in 2011? 7 billion. So that was a decade ago. What are we at now? Like 8 and a half billion or something like that? Something like that. But that is it's seven billion in 2011. I mean, a lot of people in the world. I mean, I feel like in the 80s, it was ha- not quite half. But and, and contrary to what people may think, the United States doesn't have the largest, the greatest percentage of people in the world. <laughs> by ze- Like hardly. We're th- like 330 million-ish, yeah. give or take. Nowhere near. And And let me point this out. I recently read a Business Insider article talking about the the projected decline in world population. And and I don't think it was the intent of the author, of the the writer, uh, but they point out how this is going to be like an economic catastrophe for the world. Right, because that's the main thing we should worry about is making sure corporations can make huge profits because they need bodies. Of course. But yeah, you know. I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm, he's the writer. There's a whole editorial board and, you know, things that he has to hit on. So I'm not going to blame him entirely. However, the focus of the article, it was almost tangential to the point. The point was supposed to be that, whoa, human population, like wh- people aren't making babies. People aren't getting married. People are holding off on, they can't buy houses. They can't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G in order to repopulate the world, right? Mm. But the focus started very quickly changing to who's going to do all the stuff? Who's going to work? Who's going to do stuff? 
And that's that seemed to be like the major concern. And so basically in most, even not only, this wasn't a problem affecting only Western economies, in Asia as well. I mean, you would be surprised that now that in China... Aren't they allowing now? They, more- exactly. The one, one child policy is over. Mm-hmm. And there's such an off balance between males and females in China. So that's one problem. Uh, China's seeing the most decline in population. But now, is it, as far as the, the difference, is it more women than men? or? <laughs> yeah, there was preferential treatment for having a boy, a mm. baby boy in China. Because, I mean, traditionally, you know, it's a, a boy will not, it's not about the patriarchy of carrying the name or whatever. Sure, that's great if that's what you're interested in. But traditionally, it's because it was, um, you know, you, you, like here in America, you have sons because we were a farming society at one point, right? You, you have sons to work on the farm, to work in the family business, whatever that may be. So, but that was basically, you, you know, the 19th century thinking, right? So that kind of carried over for multiple generations. And so now, now that China is having like this industrial boom and uh, the young millennials and now Gen Zers, because the preference was for boys, now there's way more boys than there are girls. Mm. And on top of that, darn it, those girls going to get educations and having careers. Um, But anyway, there's not enough girls to marry all these boys Mm -hmm. and have babies and families in the traditional traditional sense. And that's the same problem that we're experiencing here in the U.S., but for them, their numbers are more stark, obviously, because they have like a gajillion people. And, and you couple that with um, w- younger women in an educated society who are not just, you know, they don't see themselves straight out of high school or college, right. or whatever, to just, you know, move to start a family there. So I imagine that's probably what you were saying. A similar thing is happening there in, right. you know, Asia, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll use myself as an example. I was busy chasing my career, my education, my whatever. And my, I wanted to travel. I want to do all that stuff. I didn't start a family. I didn't get married till I was 36. I didn't have a kid until I was 37. Close, very close to 38. And that's like your wow. declining years, right? Where you're, those eggs expire, folks. So, you know, my husband and I only have one child. So technically we don't replace, we haven't replaced ourselves. When we age out of the, the economic system, that we have here in the U.S., we are not, therefore, replacing ourselves. So who is going to do these jobs? Like, it's, this is all, you know, like birth theory and whatever. But the it's big actually, problem— It's not a, like, a, 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 like an out, out, far out there question. No, no. One generation away from potential economic catastrophe. Isn't that weird to think? Just one generation. So basically, my son's generation, if they don't— I mean, he's a long way. He better be a long ways away I mean, <laughs> from, I having, from having kids. Um, that said, that's really just one. You're really one, maybe two generations away from seeing numbers like we saw in 2011 for this day in history of 7 billion people. I, I don't know. Some people might say that's a good thing. Uh, anyhow, let's take a quick break. Um, we're going to head over next. We were in Israel. This time we're going to Sao Paulo. I think we're going to Brazil, Brazil, where we find Jamal Thomas. Where's Jamal? Like, covering, where's Waldo? Exactly. Where's Jamal? I think we should do that. Where's Jamal this time? 
Uh, sit tight. You're listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. We'll be right back and head over to Brazil. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. I am Manila Chan sitting here with Malik Abdul. We are going to be joined now by the co-host of Fault Lines, who is, where in the world is Jamal Thomas? Today, he is, I believe, Sao Paulo, Brazil, covering the not such a massive landslide victory that we were expecting by Lula da Silva. Uh, Jamal, can you hear us? I can hear you. Welcome back, Manila. How's it going? Thanks, JT. I'm sorry to miss you, but, you know, this is a pretty cool trip for you to head out there. Malik is just basically switching. It's like switching places. Uh, like, yeah, I I literally just I literally just switched sides. When I when I came in, I was on the other side and I was like, oh, no, this is Manila's oh, chair. thank you. <laughs> it's like, let me switch to the other side. <laughs> it would be like oh, doing also, mirror image. I'm in um, Rio. Oh, you're in Rio. Yeah. You're in Rio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went to the, one of the um, spooning offices that are here in Brazil. And so I was able to cover the election there from the office itself. Fascinating election. Absolutely fascinating. JT, tell me me about this. I saw saw on TV this morning in the wee hours, Uh um, there were like a sea of Lula supporters out there. Literally a whole seat. Like it, it would be impossible to count them. And I saw them all throwing up the L which over here, you know, it probably means something different here. Loser. We're like, loser. Yeah. <laughs> Out there, I believe the L was for Lula. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Sao Paulo exploded. I mean, they had, those, you saw the crowds. The crowds were astonishing. Um, I didn't see too many in Rio de Janeiro. But all things been equal, you could hear shooting. My cab driver was for Lula. So everywhere he went, he was blowing the horn to people who were there like, ah, you know, screaming and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, a screamingly close election, right? I mean, one percent, what, a little bit more? Lula wins by 50.9 percent. Bolsonaro gets 49.1 percent. Um, that is massively close. In fact, all the way up to the point where it was, let's say, like 60 percent of results in, it was dead even. And, you know, I'm sitting there like just staring at it like, oh, my God, how close is this thing going to be? And then to add to that, you know, it's one thing if Lula blows out Bolsonaro. That's one thing. It's another thing when it's close like that, because Bolsonaro for the last year has basically said, I'm not going to accept the results. If I lose, the only way possible I can lose is fraud. His supporters have basically backed that up and have basically went with the same line. Oh, this election is full of fraud. This is not nonsense. Nonsense. I didn't know this until a guy here, but Brazil has a compulsory electoral system. So either you vote or you need to come up with a reason why you can't vote. And if you don't have a good reason, you're going to have to pay a fine for it, which means wow. that despite the fact they're using voting machines, everybody who basically votes, there's a name attached to those votes. You know exactly who voted for who. And so it's like this idea that, oh, this is right with fraud. It should be a very straightforward process of discerning whether or not the election was legitimate. Yeah. I mean, the, the math, the math on that was was Lula with 50.1 Bolsonaro with 49.8 mm. or something like like uh, within well, one, the way one or I have two percent. It, no, 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 no. Well, I have it as Lula with 50.9 percent. 50.9. And the other Bolsonaro way. with 49.1 percent. Right. It was a, I don't know if I'm doing the math right. It was like a 1.8 yeah, percent difference. Margin of error. Margin of error. Yeah. I mean, 
when we left last night, I think it was still at like 1%. So, I mean, that is extremely close. Razor, and, you know, razor keep thin. In mind, we're saying like 5% and stuff like that. Nowhere near, no, not 5%. So, Jamal, I mean, when it was like 79% or 70%, it was like 80%. And it was like a 1% difference between the two. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be so close. And then, not just that, then it became, okay, what is Bolsonaro going to say? He hasn't conceded yet, by the way. He hasn't said anything. He was completely silent. Lula came out, gave his speech. Um, of course, trying to unify the country, focusing on jobs and, and um, like bread and butter issues, basically, e- economy, employment, poverty, those type of things. Bolsonaro, silent. Silent. Nothing. Jamal, just a question for you. Bolsonaro was initially expected to do much worse. Why do you think it was so close? I mean, this is like um, Stacey Abrams versus Brian Kemp or, I mean, this is like that territory. It's like really, really close. We are talking about with maybe a little more, maybe over 1%, 1 point, what'd you say, 1.8? Like, why was it so close? That is a good question. But if you remember, the first election ended up being closer than what people expected. Right. And so this time around, I mean, it's, it's weird, right? I mean, in the first election, you had multiple opposition parties in addition to the candidates. And so this election is more so trying to get those opposition parties to declare their support for you or for the other person, basically trying to get the rest of the voters. Um, I don't know if the polling was just somewhat off in both. I'm not sure. I mean, I assumed it was going to be close, not necessarily this close. It probably depends on who you talk to. If you talk to the right, they'll say, oh, because there's massive fraud. Nonsense. If you talk to Lula supporters, what they would probably say, they may put it on the hijinks that was taking place with the highway patrol over the course of um, yesterday. So Wait, highway in, in patrol? Brazil, yeah, explain that. Yeah, now what about the highway patrol? All right, so throughout the voting on Sunday, the highway police, well, highway police and the federal highway police carried out multiple operations. I think it was more than 500 against public transportations, basically hindering or completely um, stopping various people from getting to the voting locations. Now, this was an area specific to Lula, or let's say mostly an area specific to Lula's strongholds, where he has the most support, with the obvious point being to shave off a few percentage points, or at the very least hinder people from getting to the polling. Um, this is in spite of the Superior Electoral Court basically prohibiting any of this action, meaning the Superior Electoral Court say, yeah, you can't do this. You're forbidden from doing this. This is a veto. Well, they blew him off and did it anyway. And so, long story short, Human Rights Watch come out and says, quote, we're very concerned about the reports of operations by federal highway police and are allegedly preventing or delaying access to polling places for voters who use public transportation. Um, they added that this operation was basically vetoed or not allowed by the um, electoral Supreme Court because they basically said in advance that those things are supposed to be open. Also, if people were supposed to be able to ride public transportation for free over the course of the electoral period so they can get to the polls back and forth without any issue. There were some instances of people not being able to do that or people being charged, but that seemed to be less um, relevant. Um, completely coincidentally, the director general of the Federal Highway Polo, um, Police came out, posted on social media, vote balls and arrow. But they're completely coincidence, complete coincidence. Um, you also had uh, right here. Now, he gets called in. The gentleman's name is Silvini. He gets called in to um, Superior Electoral Court, the president of the Superior Electoral Court, Alexander de Morales. And basically, I suppose, reason the riot act. 
and tells him to stop it immediately, basically to suspend those operations immediately, and goes further. He says, um, if Mr. Silvini, director of director general of the Federal Highway Police, does not comply, he will receive a personal and hourly fine of $20,000 and will be immediately removed from his duties and arrested for flagrant dereliction, disobedience, and electoral crime, according to the journalists from O Globo. So, um, yeah. So Morales comes out and basically gives a statement because he has to explain this. People are very upset. And he basically says, look, this was minor. This wasn't this is not going to have an impact, an impact on the electoral results at all. And he basically poo pooed this away um, from Lula's standpoint. Lula comes out and says he wants voting to be extended by two hours as a result, because at a certain point, the polling, the polling locations close. Now, if you're in line, you're allowed in. If you're not in line, sucks for you. Um, but this was basically pushed away. It was only 30 minutes at this point before the polling closes. The court didn't do it. Um, and so whoever you got was who you got. If you were in line, you were good. If you weren't, too bad. Um, but again, we don't know, though. I mean, that's just it. I mean, all things being equal, it could just been this was a very divided country on this issue. I mean, in fact, from the right wing standpoint, you had people basically, you know, saying that guy's a criminal. Because of, you know, they put Lula in prison for Operation Kawash. Those charges were expunged. It was seen as a coup for the most part. Um, but at this point, it's unclear. I mean, we're probably going to have to wait until there's kind of breakdown in the electoral results, like where they're piecing through, um, like, the details of who um, voted and why and those type of things before we figure it out. But I have no idea. I mean, it's just conjecture at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, we have seen at least— I wouldn't quite say it was writing on the wall, but there was definitely inklings of a leftist wave coming across Latin America for a second time, right? I mean, we saw during the Trump years, South America echoed um, at least the United States, right? I can't say North America because Justin Trudeau was so far left, he's coming around to the far right. But, <laughs> but the south of our border, Mexico onwards, right? Um, these are left-leaning presidents coming to office. Um, and they have commented, or very few of them so far, world leaders have commented on Twitter because that seems to be the official place where you make your statements, right? Um, for example, uh, Gustavo uh, Petro, the the new Colombian president, he all he tweeted was, uh, Viva Lula. Uh, Manuel Manuel Lopez Obrador of of Mexico, AMLO tweeted something like "Welcome, my brother," right? Some, something like that. Um, and another, I forget who else. Another uh, South American leader tweeted basically all welcoming messages. And these are all left leaning presidents. Even Joe Biden came out. Joe Biden did. He, I haven't seen it yet. Shockingly, Joe Biden put on Twitter. He says, "I send my congratulations to Lula Inesia um, de Silva." He said, this is the election to be the next president of Brazil following a free, fair, incredible election. I look forward to working to continue the cooperation between the two countries for the months and years ahead. Jamar, I think you're you're mistaken. I think he said, Lululemon, I like your yoga pants. <laughs> it's like, Lulu? Lulu? What's Lula? <laughs> yeah. yeah, even Biden did that. I, I read that and I thought to myself, well, in Operation Car Wash, there was some, let's say some evidence. But the U.S. was working to basically put the guy in a cage. Yeah. And so I see this comment and I'm thinking to myself, okay, why is Biden doing this? Now, it's possible that this is just over optics. But it's also possible that just like with MBS, the MBS relationship with Trump and being Trump is 
radically toxic to any Democrat. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my God, the man dragged himself from hell in order to become president. Well, what if that's the same thing that's taking place here? I mean, if Bolsonaro is considered Trump of the tropics and there was this kind of close relationship, I mean, even with the whole election, you know, oh, it's fraud, it's fraud. Even with that stuff, it's that close to it. Maybe from Biden's standpoint, having one guy scream fraud is problematic, especially in a country where you had Donald Trump do it first. Like, so there could be all sorts of stuff that's going on between this kind of association between Bolsonaro and Trump, where Biden is looking at this as like, yeah, no, I'll take the dirtbag lefty any day of the week or twice on Sundays um, if necessary. And notice in the statement, he makes it very clear, free, fair, and credible elections. Biden didn't write that. Biden had somebody else write that, but he put that in for the very specific point of saying this election was credible. This election was credible. So whatever Bolsonaro says, he's not going to. At the very least, overtly, not going to get the support of the U.S. Hey, Jamal, it's probably a bit too early, and maybe we can get you back, um, you know, one day this week to kind of talk about it. But I'm interested in knowing just how we talked about it on the show, but I'm interested in knowing just how much um, COVID impacted people's decision in not supporting Bolsonaro, because that was a big thing. You know, we talked about it in the headlines, 700,000 deaths. Yes, that is a super interesting question. Because this election, especially going into the last week, got, I mean, this last, let's say, after the runoff, I mean, as it got to the runoff, got extremely contentious, extremely contentious. I mean, Bolsonaro supporters were basically closing um, uh, the Workers' Party, a big Satanist, communist, saying they wanted to force, um, what is it, allow uh, abortion, gay marriage, like allowing people to have unisex bathrooms. I mean, this is the level of dialogue that it basically went to. I'm from Lula's side, they were calling him a pedophile in addition to, what was it? They called him a pedophile and something, oh, a cannibal. Oh. And so like, they, like, well, the pedophile thing is, there's at the very least a little something to that. Bolsonaro, when he was on a, um, I think it was a radio show, made mention of seeing a 14, 15 year old girl and said, I felt chemistry between us. And so I oh. asked her if I could follow her to her home. Yeah, it was gross. It was gross. Well, what about the can- what about the cam- the cannibalist claim? Right. What the Jeffrey that? Dahmer claim. I don't know where the cannibalism claim came from. I don't know where that what came is from. that? Yeah, that's intense though. I mean, they were basically accusing Lula of being a Satanist and a communist. What? Like that's the level of dialogue. Like Bolsonaro was trying to cozy up to the evangelical community and the Christian community. And so it became this kind of weird religious tent on the race from his side of it. It's very strange. Well, you know, we, we were freaking out over here, Jamal, when Donald Trump went after Ted Cruz's wife. We have people basically calling this guy a Satanist. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know, right? This guy's a Satanist. Um, yeah, basically saying he's trying to give her the religion and all this other stuff. But the COVID thing is interesting because, like you said, Brazil had the second highest death count from COVID. But there are 200 million people in this country. The U.S. is 320 million, give or take. And so smaller country, a massive number of people who basically died from COVID. Now, some of the people who I talked to here said that they were still vaccinating and everything else, despite what Bolsonaro was basically saying. I mean, but if you remember, he was, you know, oh, this isn't real. He didn't necessarily believe it. He would look like he would try to inhibit operations in regards to um, like vaccinations and everything else. Not to mention, if you have a huge following and you're telling your supporters, this isn't real, this is nonsense, here, try this hydrochloroquine or this other swamp water that doesn't necessarily work. Well, if you're telling people that, those people are going to respond just like Trump and be less inclined to basically go towards um, actual treatments or vaccinations. And they probably would take the tenor that it's not genuine also. And so 
what, you get 700 and some thousand people that basically dropped dead from COVID in Brazil, despite the fact that it's only 200,000 people. I mean, 200 million people here. You compare that to what, India with what, 1.5 or 1.3 billion, China, 1.5 billion. Like these are massive countries with nowhere near the death toll that Brazil had. So it's the people who voted for Lula. Yeah, there's going to be a percentage of those people who basically blamed him for the COVID stuff. But it's deeper than that, though. I mean, many of these people are bothered by, let's say, let's say the structure of the rainforest, for example. They don't necessarily like rhetoric. They don't like the calamitous way that this particular president has run the country. They don't necessarily like the attacks on courts or media and stuff like that. I mean, in really many respects, he was very similar to Trump in his demeanor and the way that he behaved. And so it may be COVID, but I suspect that the people who are very concerned about the COVID stuff is probably going to have other issues associated with them that takes them closer to Lula. It may not just be one thing. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. And I and I don't know if you would know the answer to this or not, but, you know, one of the things that, because it sounds like there are some definite similarities, at least from a, uh, a public-facing perspective, a communication perspective between he and Trump, but do you know if the government there responded differently? Because there is a difference, and I talk about it a lot, there is a difference between the Trump's comments and and what the federal government itself were doing. Do you know if the government there was as um, aggressive in its response to COVID or is it, um, was it different there? No, a great question. This is the notion between optics versus what's happened in reality. Like Bolsonaro might be against it. He may be following a certain line for supporters, but the government may still be doing something else. Like he may be inhibiting the government action, even though the government may be doing something. From my understanding, the government was working against COVID. They were vaccinated people in the vaccines and everything else came out. It may have taken a while. It may have been late. And but I don't think people could underestimate like that late quality. Like there's um a document, Healthy Human Services. And this was back I think this was when back in 2020, if I'm not mistaken, or 2020 or 2021. And in the Healthy Human Services document, there's a line where they're talking about malign actors. Now, what they mean by malign actors was basically that the U.S. reached out to Brazil to try to use this diplomatic weight in order to get them to not use the Chinese or the Russian vaccines. Now, the idea that you would put that in a healthy human services document as if this is somehow a great thing is appalling, especially for a country that has 700,000 people that basically died from COVID. Um, but by the same token, the people that I talked to, they basically said that regardless of the way Bolsonaro was basically acting, that all things being equal, there was still, let's say, some level of attention by the government itself to get the public vaccinated. And so I guess it goes both ways, right? I mean, in one sense, government is doing And look, the U.S. did something similar. I mean, Trump was still pushing um, to get vaccines done, despite the fact that him still saying, about the COVID stuff. Like he was taking a sort of attack on COVID while there were still behind the scenes actions on trying to get the COVID stuff done. But no, Bolsonaro has not necessarily been great on this, but from my understanding, the government was still working towards an objective of trying to deal with the issue. Well, JT, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like on a global scale, whoever is having elections anywhere in the world, I think the major issue here was an economic one, right? Yes, yes. Well, it's weird. I mean, so, right, after COVID, there was the economic um, issues associated with Brazil. The answer is yes. 
but I get, but that wasn't the main thing that was on. That wasn't the main thing that we're fighting at about in the last few weeks. Like for example, Lula, he was focused on the economy. I mean, that's his thing, right? Lula left office with a what eighty percent approval rating, like an astonishing number. I mean, he pulled twenty million people out of poverty, etc. So when he initially was running against Bolsonaro, he was extremely popular, and the thought was. This guy presided over this kind of economic miracle. Maybe he could do it again. This time around, it's a little bit different. I mean, there seemed to be a, a bit, a lot more mean-spiritedness built into this election that seemed to supersede economic concerns. The mean-spiritedness, like like Satanism and cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's like, because it, at a certain point, and I, I got to be honest, I didn't realize that when I first jumped into the country. Like, I thought, okay, there's an election. These guys are going to go at each other, et cetera. And yet when you get here, there's a certain, how can I say it, a normalization of political violence in the country. And with the two sides, well, the point where you consider somebody a Satanist, or you consider a guy a communist, <laughs> well, at that point, you know, and so. You can't come back from that. I'm talking, well, right. It's hard to come back from that. So usually when I'm talking to people, I don't disclose my own political thing. I just ask them, hey, what do you think about this? And so they'll give me their take, especially since I'm a blank slate in regards to, you know, my giving my um, point of view on it. And yeah, I mean, they would say Lula's a criminal. If you're talking to the right, they would say he's a criminal. He's corrupt. He's um, embezzling money. They're stealing. They're just giving money to the poor, et cetera. That's the way they frame it. From Lula's standpoint, we want to raise the poor. We want to ensure that people, I think he said, his campaign stump speech was something like a beer and a steak. Yeah, right here. He says, let's get back to fixing this country. Let's get back to eating and drinking a beer on the weekend barbecues. Um, Bolsonaro goes crazy because he thinks he on- only he can do it, but we want to eat at barbecues too. His thing, same Lula, right? Bread and butter issues. I want to make sure other people have food, clothing, they can have a decent living, etc. That's the way he's focused on this. Bolsonaro got more into the spiritual component of the race, though. Like, like I said, he started leaning heavily towards evangelicals, um, especially like Christians, evangelicals, et cetera. And of course, there's going to be a certain group of the wealth of the nation that's going to vote for the conservative in general. You're going to have a certain people who vote for, let's say, um, the white Brazilian. So there's that. But from the economic part of it, yeah, I imagine that was a motivator for some. But it seemed at the very least from what I could see, I mean, I was covering this stuff for the last um, week or so, just pre- prepping for it. it. That seemed to take a backseat, especially in the closing month. It just seemed to get more mean-spirited the closer it got to the election itself. Well, JT, I believe the bigger world story that people were worried about in America here about Brazil uh, was Brazil's greatest export, Giselle Bündchen <laughs> and Tom Brady <laughs> um, and the divorce. That that's like the only thing that most Americans knew was happening about Brazil. It hit Brazil. us hard. It hit us hard. It, it hit Americans hard. That uh, greatest export of Brazil, Giselle. I gotta be honest. I don't know who that is. Ta- what? Giselle. Giselle Tom Brady's wife. Oh, Giselle. Giselle, the supermodel. Yes, yes. the supermodel. Oh, she she is Brazil's greatest export. I gotta be honest. The, uh, beautiful women here are dumb and <laughs> and maybe because it's maybe because it's on the beach. It's like, um, you know, Rio de Janeiro. It's like you walk out and there's like all of this ocean. Um, and everybody, you know, bikinis, <laughs> no shirts, um, you know, flip flops. Oh, you're having a tough assignment, aren't you, Jamaro? 
Well, to be fair, I spent most of my day in the studio. Yesterday. Oh, right. Okay. People aren't bad to look at. But it's, let it's me just say, country. I'm an I'm an Adriana Lima fan. If oh. you guys don't know, if you are me, you, I'm I'm a fan of Adriana Lima, not so much Giselle Bundchen. But but anyway, she's the big you know as Americans go. Giselle Bundchen is the is the Brazilian export. Jamal, what's the weather like down there? Hot, hot. Is it, is it extremely hot? hot? Oh, yeah, gee. I, I went out walking yesterday, and within maybe ten minutes, like drenched in sweat. It's maybe like let's say eighties, I guess, give or take. I mean, yesterday was pretty warm. Oh, gee, um, but it's fifty degrees here. <laughs> yeah, oh, sounds like you're complaining. You? That is brutal. Oh, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. I, I love. I like that one. Let me let me just point out though, JT, the fact that okay, I get it. The world is you know it turns the other way upside down. You know we're we're cold now because we're north of the equator. They're south of the equator. I get how that works. Before anyone criticizes my my science skills here, um, and I get it. They're south of the south of the equator, so it's it's obviously warm. But you're going to have a, a big turnout, right? It, because when when weather is good, people will go do things, including go vote. The other thing with the big turnout, besides the compulsory aspect, is the fact that it's on a Sunday, right? Yes. Everywhere else in the world, they they make it possible for people to go vote. That's right. They allow people the opportunity to vote. Because if you think about any, but see, that's, that's just it. The U.S. is weird on this. Oh, yeah. I mean, because we have political parties that, like, make it difficult for the public to vote. Like, putting a vote on a Tuesday is nonsense. Creating a situation where you have lines that are eight hour long is nonsense. It's like those things are done explicitly to screw over the competitor or the competition. Oftentimes, the party in power is doing that stuff to the other person. Um, and Democrats often complain about this for Republicans. But if you notice, when Sanders was running against Clinton, they did the same thing to Sanders. It's like, yeah, I don't want to hear you complain about this anymore after I saw you do this to my guy. So, yeah, you know, there's that. But no, they put it on a Sunday. People were able to go move on the subway and public transportation for free. Um, in order to get to the polling locations. They facilitate voting. Yes. Yeah. And like I said, obligatory. Obligatory. Like, basically, you need to come up with a reason why you didn't go to vote. And by the way, you'd be penalized for that. It, meaning they would, it's like, they would um, mess up your taxes if you don't pay that fine at the end of it. Like, you need to come up with a very good excuse or you're going to get with a fine for it. And that is so, it's so weird that, you know, other countries, their systems are much more advanced. You know, we're kind of stuck in the ice ages. Even here, um, you know, you're talking about having to um, get an excuse if you don't vote. Well, here in the States, you have to have a reason to even request absentee ballots. So even if you're just requesting an absentee That completely disadvantages the poor, if you think about it. I mean, if you're working at a corporate job, okay, no issue. You can take the day off. You can take the week off, whatever. If you're working at 7-Eleven and you have a 8 to, I don't know, a 8 to 6 p.m. shift, how are you going to do that? Like, even if you go on your lunch break, if you have an eight-hour line, how are you going to make that vote? Like, that's, it's stuff like that. People who are making, let's say, minimum wage or, let's say, less than $15 an hour, especially if you had a service job, don't have that latitude to be able to basically stand in a polling line for six hours. I mean, it depends on where you are, right? If you're in Florida somewhere, those lines were like six, seven, eight hours. and so. Even if the polling booth stays open, you still have that difficulty of needing to get back to your job. Um, otherwise, there'll be consequences for you not getting back to your job. It's a p- deplorable, 
And that and that's why the whole election day, you know, I, I would be for it if they decide to make election day a federal holiday, sure. But the point is, is that the people who can't get off on any federal holiday would still be at work. So it's not like it would make it much easier. It's just the people who are already naturally off on a federal holiday. So I, I'm for well, just mandate it as a holiday entirely. Not to mention I get public free public transportation to and from the polls. I mean, there are ways that you can work around that. Big time. So I agree with you on that. I definitely agree with you on that. Or make it on Sundays. Just change the day to Sunday if you need to. Change the day. But yeah, it it seems like here in the U.S. we have like the opposite intent, like the fewer people, the better. Because I mean, for for some parties, that's, you know, Mm -hmm. it works better for them that way. I'm for more options. Oh, you may know this. I can't think of his name now because I haven't looked at the video in so long. He was like, I don't want everybody to vote. He says it's a myth that votes are chosen by the side uh, with the most voters. It has, you know, it's chosen by the people who basically go to the polls. I have to find that clip. God, I got to find that clip. This was the guy from the Heritage Foundation. This was like decades and decades ago, maybe in the 80s or something like that. It'll come to me. It's a clip on YouTube where it says, I don't want everybody to vote. And he basically is making this argument that our chances in the election go up the less people that actually go to the polls. And that's been honest with Republican modest operandi. Well, maybe that's some. Obviously, this is something that Congress could change. I personally, I think that Republicans could do themselves a favor if they put some legislation to revamp our election system, which it, which the would process, include. Yeah. yeah, because it's ridiculous that you only have one day to vote and one day to vote in person. In person yes, yes, there are early vote options. And I think Republicans should actually embrace early voting right. because we're seeing what's happening around the country. The numbers that they have, these are early voting numbers for Republicans. Yeah, I, I actually, I mean, here, I don't know what the voting system is like in Brazil, like or if they have early voting or anything like that, or, you know, what if you're out of the country, if you're an expat somewhere? Um, I like that we have that. Yeah, the votes were coming in for Lula um, from people out of the country, like in Europe. Or, like a mail-in or something? I guess it's kind of like a, um, kind of like we do in the States. Like if you were voting for the president and you were living in Germany, and yeah, let's say you're an American expat. Well, you still make your vote. Yeah, it's the same thing, where those people still make their votes and those votes get tallied and counted. My, my only problem like, I always want receipts. I want receipts. I want, and that is the problem that we have here in the U.S. is that it, there are no receipts. There's no paper trail if you do anything early. And, and that's, you know, therein lies the problem with election integrity and the, the problem with the, the types of voting machines, who controls the voting machines, who controls the boxes, who, you know, so. And you know what? And in that sense, I actually agree with the idea of standardized. We should have a standard when it a comes federal, to— And a federal yeah, election. I, I absolutely agree with that. That's percent agree. Um, but it's a patchwork I, quilt. Like me in 2020, that was the first time that I actually voted by absentee ballot. Um, normally, I always walk into the polls. I never have a problem. You do it with, old school. Yeah, I, I always did it then. So it was the first time that in 2020, because of the pandemic and the whole idea that people were voting, um, you know, early or absentee is they just didn't trust being, you know, in a room full of people yeah. voting. So I did absentee. But here in D.C., the you could... The vote, you could send in your absentee ballot up until the day of the in-person vote. So it was still eligible to count. But you don't know if the vote, so I don't know if my vote was ever counted. Technically counted. Right, right. That's technically horrible. counted. That, that should never be the case. Too. That's So when and you look, were talking about way, receipts. The fact, Repu- yeah. the fact that Republicans complain about this, they should do that. 
I mean, they, it should be fair. And it should, for example, if you say, okay, everybody in the country um, automatically gets a voting card. Okay, fair enough. Then you can stop screaming about voter IDs if you just mandate that everybody gets a voter ID. Normalize, they like, or nationalize, not nationalize. Like you say, make it standardized across the country itself. So there's not these kind of wishy-washy systems where the states can just screw around with the voting system and all that stuff. I mean, Republicans have been screaming fraud for the last several years. And then it was like, okay, well, what do you want to do with the fraud? Oh, nothing. They've been in power. They were in power under Trump. I mean, they had absolute control to do whatever they wanted for the most part. And you might have even got Democrats at back. And so it's like, you know. No, we would just want to keep this as a thing to complain about. It's like immigration. Oh, we just want to keep this as a thing to complain about. They have to really do anything about it. I agree with you. It should be standardized. Why not? And, and, and we can keep, make our electoral system better. Yeah, and keep in mind, as much as Republicans were complaining about, you know, mail-in voting and absentee ball- you know, ballot voting, Donald Trump himself, once again, voted by absentee ballot. So it is a much-used Thing. It's not as if it's just, you know, liberals who use it. Everyone does it. I Like my mother, I am, even though my mother feels, you know, she's old school and she likes the idea of going and, you know, voting in person, the fact is, is that I like her having the option if she does not, whether she, if she doesn't feel like it or, you know, because of her health or she just says, I don't feel like doing it today. I like the idea of being able to, you know, have an absentee ballot to fill that out. But I do think that there should be some sort of mechanism to ensure that it was counted. I, I just, and I don't, that doesn't sound like a heavy lift. It seems like you should be. No, it doesn't. <laughs> because some places have, yeah, because some places have different requirements. Like here, even the the whole idea of voter ID, most places, um, most you know, around the country, they have requirements for you have to show some form of identification if you're requesting an absentee ballot. That's it, it's here. If I had to request one in D.C., even though they send them, but if I were to request an absentee ballot here in D.C., I have to show some form of ID, which would be an ID or the last four of my social. So I think those type of things need to be standardized, but it's just become so politicized. Did you see that out there, JT? Like, how do they check? How do they verify identity? And so they have voter ID cards. Oh, so like, for example, when people needed to get on the railways, as long as you can present your voter ID, you could get on it free. And so it's. Is it a whole separate card? Is it a whole separate card, Jamaro? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I got the feeling it was a separate card. They were saying they. The reporting was explicitly people can show their voter ID and they can get on the subway or tr- public transport for free to get on from corporate point. Easily point eight. be able to do something like this in the States. If you go in in person and I think if you do the paper ballot or something, you can get a receipt. Um, I think it's the paper ballot or something where you put the the thing in there and they so because like I can get a re- I've gone and I've gotten receipts that I cast it my vote. Um, and I think it may be the paper. Do you know which one that is, Jamal? I think it's. I feel like my machine too. The last where they have a paper. Yeah, the the. I don't know what kind of machine it I was. To be honest, that I don't remember. I mean, when I was in Virginia, I don't remember you getting a ticket. Yeah. yeah so in DC, you can oh, get a. Yeah. So in DC, if you wanted a ticket, like they can print out a ticket for you to show it. it I don't think it shows your vote. It shows that something showing See, that I, you voted. I want that. Yeah. I want a receipt that shows exactly the boxes I checked and the names that I ticked off. I want the actual, I want an itemized receipt 
for my but it vote. shouldn't be so hard. But I, then that, that no, it's not hard. It is. It is not hard. I mean, if if people can go stand and do self checkout at CVS, if people can stand and do the order kiosk at McDonald's, right. there's no and you get a full itemized receipt. There's no reason that a voter, a voting machine, can't give you an itemized vote tally of your right. receipt. There's no reason, like, because I want to know what the machine took in is the same as what, and there's even no guarantee of that as well. But there's yeah, a, I know, that's what I was about to say, right? I mean, I, I agree with you, Manila. I want, I don't want to leave, there should be no situation where a person leaves a voting booth and it's like, I wonder if my vote counted. Oh, that is the worst scenario ever. Because at that point- Like, the was legit, there a glitch? Yeah, was there, like, for the, for something that is as important, as um, to confer legitimacy to a particular candidate, one side or the other, other, you really need that. I mean, you need that ability to be able to check, okay, was my vote counted and was it counted correctly? And like you say, even with that, there's going to be some level of variance because just because you look at something doesn't mean that it can't give you a false answer. But still, something is better than nothing. And right now, a lot of that stuff is a black box in this country, in our country. And I wonder, is it some type of, yeah, I wonder, is it some type of, like being able to have that sort of information, you know, is there some like a privacy thing as to why they don't do? Well, no, I, I refuse to believe that, that there's some sort of privacy concern about why wouldn't you be able to print out what your vote was. But maybe there's a difference if you do it, well, even if you do it electronically versus paper, there still should be some type of system. Yeah, there should be a voting trail. I mean, yeah. at the very least, I mean, because you don't have to show your vote to anybody if you don't want to. Right. Like, meaning, even if they give you this kind of private document of saying, okay, this is your thing, I don't even care if they say, okay, you can go to this number online and you can basically verify right. your vote. Yeah. Something, I mean, like, because at the very least, you have a system that can associate a vote with the individual itself. Mm-hmm. Like, meaning this notion of fraud just goes away. No, actually, I think that's actually a great idea. Maybe not, if you can't print it there, maybe request that through your, you know, board of elections. If you wanted, like, a receipt of your vote or something, you should be <laughs> able to. just give a number. Yeah. Like, like the moment that you vote, it's okay, here's your number. The meaning this number is associated with you in this country for the voting. And yeah. so you can go and verify that you, with this number, um, that was your thing. Or even use your social, well, no, you can't use social security. You have to use something else. Uh, that's, that gets weird in software. But it's doable. It's doable. It's definitely it's just, doable. There's no excuse for it not to be done. Let me just tell you, uh, where, wherever there is a self-order kiosk, um, I tend to go to those because my order is more likely to be correct mm, when I place you know what you when I place my own order, mm-hmm. right? Like they have a lot of those kiosk, self order kiosks at um, the grab and go food places, like at they have DCA, them at, McDonald's at the now. airport, right? Like yep, you punch McDonald's in now. the McDonald's has that. My order is more likely to be correct, so I feel like my order, my my vote, would be more precise if I could see it. We're gonna right. have to have you All back, right. Jamal. JT. Keep an eye out. I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more this week. Jamaral Thomas, he's out there in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil covering the elections there for us. Thank you, JT. We'll leave it right there. All right, you hear the music. That means we're going into our final and third hour on Fault Lines here on Radio Sputnik. We'll be right back. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America in the belly of the beast in Washington, D.C. Good morning. You are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Thank you for joining us out there. You rumblers, hello. Hello again. We meet again. 
Uh, we're also on 105.5 FM and 1390 AM here in the DC Metro. We're in Kansas City at 1140 AM, 102.9 FM, and 104.7 on that radio dial. I am the Vixen of Veritas, the Thrilla in Manila, Chan, along with still co-host, guest co-host, the Atomic MAGA, Malik Abdul. This is the show that dares to go there. This is Fault Lines. That's a fun trip for Jamal. Well, I mean, 80-degree weather and The beaches, beautiful people. Like, oh. The Giselle so Bunchins and Adriana Limas out there. <laughs> Darn. That sucks. And you know what? Nobody says much about, like, the men in Brazil. It's always the women. It's got to be the got to be a balance, right? Like, if you have that many beautiful women walking the streets, there's got to be... Equal well, I, I would imagine probably because men are much more likely to talk about the comment on beautiful women than you know women. Not that women don't, but men will typically talk in public around each more other. More candidly, yes, about women and but how women beautiful. too. Women will also be more candid about beautiful women. Like I have no problem saying like, yeah, Giselle, she's tall, she's beautiful, mm-hmm. great, but. Personally, I think Adriana Lima is also. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, what's her name? Alessandra. I forget her last name. But these are all the Victoria's Secret, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like supermodel types. Disproportionate number of them are Brazilian. Really? Well, I can see why because they are the, yeah. I don't know. They are gorgeous. (laughs) I don't. I know. And then I'm going to get all the, you know, shade of like. Oh, you're, you're the standard of beauty. No, there's no. there's plenty of beautiful women of all colors yes. walking the runway. Indian women, like, oh gosh, beautiful. yeah, yeah. I mean, gorgeous. well, you have like two billion people in India. I'm sure there's going to be a, a big of- percentage of them that are gorgeous. Yeah, and I've seen several. It isn't so, just Cindy Crawford. No. Is that was that like the old? She's that's too old. School. That's too old. You're showing school. your age. <laughs> hey, but you know what? She's. I think she's almost sixty. She looks great. Cindy looks. Amazing. She looks She's great. She's an American icon for sure. Like, but you know, beautiful women everywhere. Not a bad gig to be sent out to 80 degree weather south of the equator when With it's. With those beaches. Oh, <laughs> while we're over here, you're in hoodie and, you know, you, right. you got my your beanie scully, on. Yes. I got my coat here. Like, we're, we're heading into fall. And uh, because it's cold here, it's going to be really cold in Europe. And as I was cooking yesterday, with my natural gas stove, all I could think about was the poor Germans collecting sticks and getting in line for coal. Oh, well, you know, in DC, they're 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 um, il- um, getting rid of our natural gas stove. So I heard. Yeah, so that's going to be a thing for no, new construction. Restra- you know what? The restaurants are all going to flee. I don't even know how that works. Like, you how need- is it? You have to have an exception for restaurants. You I have don't know. to. Because you can't food, use conduction. No, 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 no. no, no. That's not going to work. My mom, my mom had a restaurant. We're a small business family. My mom was was as an award winning chef. She tells me straight up, you need hot heat, like flaming, right. literal flaming heat, right? To make that kind of restaurant quality food, you cannot get that from an electric burner. So it has it's to be not an exception. Happen. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm not a big. I'm not thrilled with Muriel Bowser. So. Anyway. Uh, let's head over to some of the top stories for the day. The big story, you just heard Jamal Thomas there in the last hour covering uh, this story for us. The former Brazilian president, Luis Inácio da Silva, better known simply as Lula, 
He is the comeback kid. He has just won the top job back into the president's office on Sunday after besting Jair Bolsonaro with about 50.9%. So he's edging up on 51% of the vote. Um, They've got about 99.96% of the ballots counted because over there they count all of them before, before they issue, you know, one way or the other. And as we learned, they have compulsory elections. Compulsory. That means that you have to vote. And And if not, you have to show a reason why you did not vote. I was in a car accident and I broke my neck. I was in the hospital. Okay, you won't get fined, you know, $230 or whatever it is. Um, But Bolsonaro apparently only walks away with 49.1. Don't know yet if he will actually contest this because it is within the margin of error. Um, But, you know, this ends a, a very politically charged era for Brazil, um, ushering back in, you know, the comeback kid after Lula was, you know, indicted, incarcerated under Operation Car Wash that was, you know, headed up by America's CIA. So uh, I don't know. They cleaned off his record and now he's back. I would say he has an ax to grind. He won't say that publicly because he's a better person than me, but Uh, I'm going to say he has an axe grain, and I don't blame him. And we'll head over to domestic news here now. Our own president, Joe Biden, has been once again mocked online for saying that Democrats, quote, went to 54 states in 2018 to defend the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare. Now, I know I was gone for a month, but the last I checked, we had... 50 states and a couple territories, um, but definitely not 54 states. So the blunder made, the president made at uh, a Philadelphia rally to attract support for the struggling, very very sad to see. I mean, I'm not going to make fun of him. My mom is a a traumatic brain injury survivor as well. Uh, But he was there to support Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. And this apparently infuriated a lot of conservatives, obviously. I don't, it's just a blunder. I don't know why anyone would be infuriated. This is Joe Biden. He's a, he's a gaff machine. So he said 54 states. Yes. Probably are, not infuriated. More so just mocking. I, I think it's yeah. funnier to conservatives. You know, I don't think it's actually infuriating people. But some people might be mad. How dare you? With a Greta Thunberg. <laughs> then... A lady called Vijaya Gade, her previous title at Twitter, gotta show my shirt, at Twitter, she was the head of legal, public policy, trust, and safety until Elon Musk came in and hit the launch pad for her. Get out of there. Uh, fired her. She was the company's content policy chief. She made the call to ban President Donald Trump from the platform and to censor the Hunter Biden laptop from Hell Story. Gotti was responsible for banning President Trump right after the J6 2021 events. Now, in a conference call on January 8th of 2021, so 48 hours after the J6 riot, Gotti uh, reportedly asked about 5,000 Twitter employees to be patient with her legal team while they decide on President Trump's future on the platform. So then about three hours later, uh, Trump got that permanent ban because apparently she got a lot of pushback 
for only giving President Trump what they viewed as a slap on the wrist, which was a 12-hour ban. So um, it sounds to me like her staff or the staff at Twitter were applying pressure to uh, Gade to permanently ban uh, Trump, but ultimately it was her call and she was the leader of that department. She made the call, took him off, deplatformed him. No telling yet if Elon is gonna re-platform President Trump or if President Trump would want to come back given that he has launched Truth Social, which is struggling. Um, now, speaking of former POTUSes, Barack Obama shooting back at a heckler, presumably a high school-aged kid. This was uh, while he was giving a speech in support of now-struggling Governor Gretchen Whitmer ahead of the midterms there. She's facing a, a tough battle there. The crowd at a Michigan high school uh, went wild one way or the other, one side yelling, teach him, Barack. Uh, another one saying, get out. And then he heckles back saying, this is, you know, no sign of basic civility. And he was in the middle of talking about poli the political environment, which he identified as being, or characterized as being very heated, um, especially in the wake. And he referenced, you know, of Nancy Pelosi's husband who was uh, badly injured during a hammer attack at his home. And so then somebody heckled President Obama. So Obama lashes out and says, that's not a great way to do this. It's not, you wouldn't do that at a workplace. You wouldn't just interrupt people in the middle of a conversation. It's not how we do things. I would say that's a very dad moment of him because these are people more or less around Sasha and Malia's age. So I think he was being very dadly, fatherly of these kids heckling him, um, basically telling them to pipe down. But it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen him uh, talk to people like he's being a dad. And then a man who spent more than 38 years behind bars for a 1983 murder, allegedly, and two attempted murders, has actually been released from a California prison after long, untested DNA evidence pointed to a different person, according to an L.A. County district attorney. On Friday, the internet was flooded with outcries on Saturday as footage from the trial that vacated Maurice Hastings' murder murder conviction circulated through social media. Uh, viral clips of the trial, which ran just over a minute long, show a close-up of Mr. Hastings' face as he closes his eyes in what appears to be a moment of emotional overwhelm. Um, after 38 years, he's going to walk a free man. DNA evidence exonerating him. Um, and some people in social media were saying that the state needs to heavily compensate Mr. Hastings for the years lost, the injuries uh, incurred by him. Uh, some even calling for the cops uh, who were involved, presumably, to give up their retirement for Mr. Hastings, to, you know, helping keep him behind bars. Uh, everyone that's involved should should have to pay, face some kind of uh, punishment for this, especially burying that DNA evidence that exonerated him. Over to international news, the Russian MOD, the Ministry of Defense, has stated that the UK Royal Navy took part in planning and executing 
what they called the terrorist attack on Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. Now, this is a quote saying, according to the obtained data, the UK Navy representatives took part in planning, organizing, and carrying out the terrorist attack in the Baltic Sea on September 26, 2022 to blow up the Nord Stream 1 and 2 gas pipelines. That's an official MOD statement. So that is Russia's official position. They are pointing the finger at the UK. Now, staying with Russia, the foreign ministry spokeswoman, Maria Zakrova, stated on Sunday that the grain deal remember, brokered by Turkey earlier this year, uh, was disrupted by Ukraine and the UK. She said, quote, The grain deal was thwarted by Zelensky and his terrorists who were led by British specialists in order to add food to nuclear blackmail. They are not satisfied with getting money and weapons. They need more death. The Kiev regime rests on this hellish throne. Money, weapons, and death. Now, at the same time, Moscow noted it is ready to provide a vast amount of Russian grain to developing nations for free. So since they can no longer guarantee the safety of uh, grain and other shipments going in and out of uh, the Crimea region, uh, the Russians say they're ready to ship out stuff to the world uh, for needy countries for free. And former UK Prime Minister... Liz Truss reportedly became fixated with, get this, wind charts. Wind, yes, wind. Wind charts and weather forecasts the last couple of days in office uh, because she was warned by her intelligence that Russia might use a tactical nuke and that the wind might blow it over into the UK. So I, I guess she got... The sound effects are getting... It's Halloween, scary wind sounds. Uh, So apparently, you know, after 44 days in office, replacing Bojo, his failed comeback, um, Trust grew obsessed. This is according to UK media. They're saying she was obsessed with uh, weather reports. So that's that's a little bit weird, but I, I guess I guess you can make some sense of that. And let's head over to Asia in South Korea, where at least at least 151 people so far have been killed and 82 others uh, very gravely wounded after a stampede during a Halloween, a giant Halloween party gathering, uh, public gathering uh, in Seoul. According to the South Korean authorities, 100,000 people converged in Itaewon for Halloween festivities Sunday with the resulting gathering becoming the biggest in years because obviously COVID restrictions were gone. So all these young party goers, these revelers were out on the streets for the first time in two and a half years. And crowd control was not really well executed or managed. Um, So over 150 people killed. Uh, Bodies were lined up on the streets with tarps over them. It was, it is, wow, just something very... All you can say is, wow. Uh, Then, apparently in Finland, they've captured criminals with weapons destined for Ukraine, including assault rifles, says the Nordic country's NBI, National Bureau of Investigation. NBI Detective Superintendent Krister Algren 
said on Sunday that they have, quote, seen signs of these weapons already finding their way to Finland. So he argued that the investigation into the matter is already underway and that routes and contacts for trafficking illegal weapons from Ukraine into Finland have also been detected. Uh, So there you go. All the weapons that are being sent by the collective West into Ukraine, pilfering its way through uh, places it shouldn't be. Then the U.S. military is reportedly weighing the possibility of deploying multiple B-52 bombers into Australia in a bid to create a long-term hub there amid the ongoing tensions with China. Now, citing insiders familiar with the developments, the Australian Broadcasting Group, ABC, the other ABC, uh, that approximately six bombers are going to be stationed at the remote Tyndall Air Base in Australia's Northern Territory. Then this day in history, short, short two days, two things in this day in history. Back in 1918, the Spanish flu kills about 21,000 people right here in the U.S. in a single week. Then in 2011, the world population broke 7 billion, according to the United Nations on this day. That means somebody was born on this day and hit the 7 billion mark. That'll do it for your headlines this Monday, October the 31st. It's Halloween. You're listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. All right. Yeah, uh, well, looks like we have Ed ready. Are we oh, going to go there? to a break before two? Yeah, let's, let's take a quick breather uh, before we come back with Ed Martin to talk about, uh, obviously, we've got elections coming. We've got the Pol- Mr. Pelosi issue happening. A lot of stuff happening domestically as well. Our buddy Ed Martin, uh, the big boss over at the Schlafly Eagles, he'll be joining us right after the break. We'll be right back on Sput- on Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. We'll be right back. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. I am Manila Chan, joined with Malik Abdul, the Atomic MAGA. Uh, I don't know if you're more Atomic MAGA than our next guest. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to have to see. You guys are going to have to battle it, battle it out. Uh, joining us now is... Ed Martin. He is the president of the Schlafly Eagles, as well as a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, my buddy, Ed, uh, are you going to fight it out with Malik for this atomic MAGA throne? <laughs> well, I don't think either. Whoever gets that uh, title belt ends up probably uh, being on a watch list or something. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're probably right. Uh, I don't know what we should get to first. I don't know what's what's bigger a topic right now, or they might be part and parcel, is the midterm elections. We're just a week away. Um, and the the Paul Pelosi attack. Paul's his first name, we right? Can do, we can their do Paul is, first. Their son is Paul also, isn't he? I think so. I, I, I'm happy to talk about that, although I don't think it's the real story. I, do, I mean, I think it's a distraction. And in some ways, the media is happy to distract. They're dumb because they're not distracting in a way that gives anybody any, I don't know, any vision of the Democrats. But it is a, it's a strange story. Look, here, here's what I'd say. It's a very simple uh, statement. It's my new motto. It's, it's, I, I have a tattoo across my uh, chest, you know get rid of Rosie and and my mom and all that. It just says, don't trust and verify. And so, I mean, I, at this point, we cannot trust anything the media tells us. You cannot trust when Hillary Clinton comes out and says, let me tell you that I think it's MAGA language that got us here. You just can't trust. So we, I think we'll find out more facts. Maybe, maybe never. Maybe it'll take 18 months and an independent investigator and we'll have a to, to, you know, to figure out what was going on. But 
whatever it was, he certainly got banged on the head and he's not a kid. So, you know, that's uh, as a human being, we say, hey, wait, I hope he gets better. I pray for his family. But but look, um, all the other parts of it seem really sketchy. And but even the incident, I think we'll find out maybe, you know, but the idea of linking it to MAGA and the idea of Hillary Clinton linking the rhetoric. I've never been at a Trump rally. I've never been at even a Tea Party back in the day where our people there are are violent. I mean, I, I have watched the president of the United States stand, you know, Joe Biden stand in front of the, the Philadelphia Independence Hall with this red and black military and say Americans who disagree with him are clear and present danger. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. That's yeah. Hitler. I mean, Joe Biden as Hitler, that's Hitler stuff right there. So I, I think that that part of it is crazy. But dropping one footnote, Hillary Clinton jumping in fast, what you have to read into that to know she wants desperately for Biden to stumble and for her to run again. It's just as clear as can be. There's no, no. to be weighing. Oh, yeah. And, and, and look, everybody knows uh, Biden's stumbling. I still maintain he'll always be running again. The people around him, you know, that, 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 that take care of him from, from his wife to uh, Susan Rice to Lisa Monaco want the power to stay. But, but Hillary thinks this could be her chance coming because, uh, you know, 100% name ID and break the glass. Well, finally, all that stuff. So well, I mean, so you're, you're with Jamaro on that because Jamaro and I have, we differ. I, I don't believe Hillary will be coming back to run again. Jamaro thinks that she's just waiting for an opportunity. So you're with JT on that one. No, no. Well, listen, but it's very simple. I'll be very quick. Everyone who's run for president and gotten the nomination is not able to normal person, even a normal politician afterwards. It's just a fact. I mean, you can call it a fever. You can call it whatever you want. The fact is that Romney has never been the same, right? I mean, it's a kind of known thing. And Hillary was this close and she really thinks it was stolen from her. So I think it's as clear as can be that, um, that she, hold on a second. Sorry, the NSA is cutting out my phone. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I just think she, I think she wants to run. I don't know if she can pull it off. Well, I, I think it's to, and I don't think she will, but she wants to. Well, I think the want will always be there. It's just like, you know, like a re- retired sports athlete, right? Like they, they always want to be back on the field. They always want to be on the court. Can you do it? I don't know. Yeah, so you know what, Ed? I think I think a little differently about the Pelosi story. I I don't think that Hillary Clinton is jumping in there because she want to position herself as the person who would ultimately, who who could be the nominee. I think this is more of a coordinated effort with the Democratic Party. Um, you had Barack Obama's statements talking about political violence. And uh, what I think is that Republicans did the right thing. So immediately when this happened, so we were in studio at the time. And then by the time I got home and just started seeing the coverage, you had comments from... McConnell, you had comments from McCarthy, you had the Republicans and the Republican establishment, everybody was condemning it, sending their prayers. I think what what Democrats saw is that they couldn't tie Republicans to this. So what they chose to do is then I saw stories about uh, what they were saying on Fox News at the time, even though I watched Fox News and they literally covered covered the story for the rest of the afternoon, all expressing condolences. There were many of things that we didn't know. I think that the Democrats weren't able to say that Republicans were out here, you know, um, in these conspiracy theory modes. So now they have to deflect to stories about Elon Musk's tweet, 
which apparently was in response to uh, Hillary Clinton's tweet on the matter. I think that they are doing this in a coordinated effort to tie Republicans to this. So uh, this whole idea that Joe Biden and you mentioned Joe Biden talking about extremist threats. And I think this is all to gin up this type of fear that, see, look at Republicans, Republicans with all of their um, their commentary and is creating co- political violence, ignoring, literally ignoring the young college student who, or Barack, I don't know if you heard about the Marco Rubio canvasser who was attacked, and he just spoke at a GOP event the other night. But the Marco Rubio um, canvasser was attacked. Volunteer, right? He was a volunteer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a volunteer. He was attacked. He's all bloodied and bruised up. You see him in the back of the ambulance, laid out on the stretcher, all bruised up. But that didn't turn into a story, nor were there any Democrats out there condemning political violence. Republicans did the right thing, condemned this violence. But I think that this is more of a coordinated um, effort on the part of Democrats to tie Republicans to political to violence. violence. Yeah. yeah, I think this what is what they're end? doing. No, no, look, I, I, we're, we're, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, that, that Hillary's running a play it, it, uh, from the playbook. I agree with you. I, my point is that there's got to be better leaders. I mean, you know, and, and the others came in, AOC and everybody came in running the same play. I agree with you. I, I just think it's really funny. And frankly, it's bad for Democrats if they can't. Well, Obama's one thing. Obama shows you why he was a a big league ball player. You see him, he's cool. People like him. Nobody, nobody likes Hillary except the base of her party. And, and the fact that she jumps out there, I'm sure makes Schumer cringe because he's thinking, no, 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 we want to try to survive this election, which brings us to the, the uh, upcoming uh, uh, election. And, and look, I've been saying, I know you guys have heard it a lot, but I've been saying for almost six months, it's a red tsunami. And now it's finally a red tsunami and everybody's surprised. I, what I saw and what I see and again, it's from having run for office. The late Phyllis Schlafly used to say that running for office and not winning is the best thing to understand how politics works. And that's what happened to me in 2010. I ran for Congress in a wave election. And there's a certain point in the election about now, maybe two or three weeks ago, where you just can feel where the trend line is. And now if it's going your way, you want more days. You want more days because every day is getting better. I remember in that cycle, 2010, every day was getting better. I was getting closer to you know a huge upset, all that. That's how it's going across the country. Every day that goes past, you're going to see images, if you could see them, of Chuck Schumer on the tarmac saying to Biden, I don't know, Georgia's going to vote for Herschel? It's getting better and better, and the field is expanding almost as fast as you can print money over at the Fed because the uh, you've got uh, North New Hampshire now, the Senate race, uh, all mm-hmm. the money's coming pouring in. You've got House races in New York, House races uh, that shouldn't be close Jersey, there's a House race where an incumbent Democrat looks like he's going to lose. So it's um, it's going to be like 53, 54 in the Senate, maybe 55, but certainly 53, I think 54. And then in the House, it's going to be plus 75. I mean, it's going to be like we haven't seen since. No. And 19, I don't mean 1994, you guys. I mean, 1894. <laughs> the Republicans won 110 plus 110. Why? No way. Democrat, Democrat president. Grover Cleveland Alexander was so clueless that he was that he lost that he was a president in 93 the economy tank and the republican and the and the, the democrats in power were punished dramatically so now i, I you can I'll, I'll pause and say i'm being a little bit over the top because there's not as many seats that are even swingable in this stupid corrupt system we're in but i think it's going to be so it won't be 110 
like a 1894, but it'll be 75, maybe more. Well, you know, wow. I, I think if you look at where we are now, as opposed to where we were post row, maybe that was June when the road decision finally came out and a lot of conversation was out there about how Democrats and keep in mind, this was also during the primary. Um, we hadn't entered the general election yet, but there was a lot of, you know, cause, you know, people were saying that Democrats were going to run on this issue. It was polling well for them. And you look at us now, there are a lot of races that you know, people aren't talking about Nevada um, with uh, Laxalt and Cortez Masto. So for our audience, Cortez Masto is the current senator in Nevada. But for the past, I believe, month, the Republican, Adam Laxalt, has been leading. And right now, I believe Real Clear has them tied at 47%. But it's a huge possibility that we're going, Republicans are going to gain Nevada in Herschel Walker. I was looking at the Real Clear politics average. Herschel Walker has been up in the last several polls. Now, it's only yes. by 1.3 or 1.3. No, Rasmussen has him up by five. Yeah, well, see, Rasmussen typically is kind of like an outlier, but all of the polls are showing Herschel Walker, you know, very, yeah. at varying degrees. Edging up. Edging up. And I honestly believe in Herschel Walker's case, which may be a little different than what we're seeing in Pennsylvania. Um, I don't know if Oz is going to be able to ultimately pull that out. The, the polls right now don't suggest that. But if you just look at what each candidate was able to get out of the debate, for instance, Oz versus Walker, you knew who Oz was. Oz is a very, you know, he's a well-spoken person. He's a TV man. Understands policy. But because Herschel Walker, the and I said it here, the bar for Herschel Walker was set so low that the only thing that he had to do was lift up his foot and was step across up. it. <laughs> and that's all he did. So he, Herschel Walker ultimately won by not losing. So, and, and I think it's, and I, and I wonder, and I wonder what do you think about that, Ed? Do you think that Herschel Walker's performance, because his performance on the campaign trail has been steady? And which is not so great. Which is yeah, which is just not so great. But do you think that there is a possibility that Her Herschel Walker's performance in that debate kind of, you know, they were already in their early voting, you know, season. But do you think that impacted how people feel about him, his candidacy? Well, I mean, look, I mean, there's again back to campaigns and, you know, campaigns and how, how things work. Debates are not usually actually that important in terms of right. given what, what, what sort of it's, as you point out, it's a gaffe. It's like Fetterman came out of that and they said, oh, my gosh, a lot of people said, wow, he had a stroke. Now, a lot of people, voters might not have even noticed that. I mean, again, you know, most people are going around their lot, going through their lives uh, and they don't they're not paying attention. And that, that so that was bad for Fetterman. I, look, I think you're right about Walker. He was fine. I mean, expectations are low. Look, but I just got to point out, guys, there's certain fundamentals. One thing is Georgia is Herschel Walker was a star football player in a, in a state that's football crazy. And, and I'm telling you right now, you say, well, I mean, but Raphael Warnock was a, was a, was a, a minister. Like, you know, mm -hmm. nowhere, give him credit. He's a good communicator and all. It, it's not even close. I mean, Walker's going to win easily down there because it's, it's Georgia and because he's Herschel Walker. And because, by the way, it's a red cycle. It's a red wave. Oz is going to win by 10, guys. You, I mean, I wow. was 10 days ago and, and on the ground, there's no energy for Fetterman. It's embarrassing for people. Now, the wrinkle up there is that Shapiro has been able to run for governor, the Democrat, as one of these uh, uh, attorney general uh, governor candidates. He's, so he looks like more 
He looks more sane than he should, and he's actually doing pretty well. He's raised a boatload of money. There's a lot of investment in him. Uh, but I, I think, look, uh, Oz wins Pennsylvania, which is a hold. Georgia is a pickup. You brought up uh, Nevada. People don't understand um, Nevada also. It's, it, this will be the end of the Reed machine. Mm-hmm. Reed and right. family, which are all connected to everything. When he left the stage on his since deceased, this woman was, was out of his machine. Yeah, he endorsed her oh, for this. These things ebb and they flow and they fade away. And so Laxalt comes from a family. His grandfather was uh, a senator, et cetera. So he's no stranger. He was attorney general. So he, he wins easily. I mean, the bigger one is Arizona, where Carrie Lake has become a national figure by beating this weak Democrat. And Blake Masters is surging is going to win, too. So, it's, so you think Blake Masters is going to win? In a wave like this in 25 or 30 years. And Mitch McConnell will be the majority leader, which is the untold story of how he's probably one of the most important political figures now after he'll do the couple of years, a couple of terms, maybe four years in, in the last hundred years, I don't know, 75 years. It's extraordinary. So you think that Blake Masters is going to beat um, um, Kelly? Easily. I mean, when I say easily, two or three points, maybe five. I mean, uh, Kelly looks weak and looks stumbling. He's, his campaign has been milk toast. I mean, it's and again, you cannot underestimate the weight of the Biden uh, bad numbers. It's just nobody's looking. Oh, by the way, let me go back to one thing you said, the abortion thing. That was always a mistake by the Democrats to think that returning to the states choices about abortion was going to long term affect Republicans. It just was. I, I never understood how they thought. Because all they were going to do is agitate the base of the Democrat Party, who was already there. And now most of the base, you saw last week, the progressives came out in the Democrat Party and said, try to get peace by negotiation in Ukraine. And they were literally beaten senseless. That's not fair. They were figuratively beaten senseless by their own party to retract the statement. Across the country, the progressives and the left wing are looking up going, is this our party? Really? This is what you're telling us you're going to do? So it's... um. There's no motivation on the left, uh, energy-wise, and the right is going to run through fire uh, until Donald Trump declares for president a few weeks after the election. Well, you know, I, I so you're you're a bit farther out there than me. I said 52 seats in the Senate, but I'm not going to just rule out what you're saying. And the reason why is right now we're people are responding to polls and we always respond to polls in each election cycle. But if you look at what happened in 2020, um, let's even look at what was that? Mitch McConnell and Amy McGrath out of Kentucky. The polls had Amy McGrath. She was going to win, but then she didn't. And so I do. So I do think that there is some truth to what you're saying is that what to what people are uh, what their po- polls right now may not reflect the sentiment. And that was, I can't think of the phrase that people used, um, but the, 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 they call it the soft Trump voter, people who didn't want to say that they would vote for Donald oh. Trump. I can't think of what that terminology was. Closeted Trump? Yeah, the people who <laughs> didn't want to say that they were voted for Donald Trump, or in this case, a Republican. It will be interesting to see, are we, do, are we experiencing a similar thing this time around? Will the polls be, because right now in those races, like for instance, Arizona, and some of the races like Pennsylvania, where you have um, Democrats leading, will that totally flip on election day? And we look at what we've seen in past election cycles where Republicans end up doing much better by people not feeling comfortable, I guess you could say, saying that, yes, I'm going to support the Republican candidate. Because if the polls are off again, they're going to need another explanation for why they were so bad, so off. 
Well, I mean, I, I look, I, I think the polls are off again. I, and I, I don't think they ever, they didn't explain it in 2020. They didn't explain it in 2016. I think, you know, so I think that they're generally they, like we, we all, we internally call them the shy Trump voters, people that just, Oh yeah, that's what it is. And, and that's gotten more dramatic. I mean, the last thing, you know, the last thing you do is tell someone, a stranger that you're a Trump voter or a conservative. It just don't answer the phone on that. So I, I think, I know they fight through that or they say they do in the polls. Well, hold on, Ed. On that note, let, let me pause you right there. Why are they shy about it? Is it because they fear the backlash of being a Trump supporter? There's no, there's no upside. Yeah, but I mean, there's no upside if you don't have to. I mean, you guys, I mean, maybe Manila, maybe you don't. But if I go to a, I went to a wake this weekend uh, and, and it was for my father's cousin, a, a decorated cop in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and a great family and all this stuff. And, and one of the aunts there said, I saw you on CNN back in the day. I can't believe you backed Trump. Nobody comes up to you and says, you know, oh my gosh, I saw you like Biden. He's a moron. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so you're, yeah, of course, at this point, this is the trick. This is what, this is how you, I call it the projection racket. You know, the mafia used to do the protection racket. <laughs> projection racket is when the Democrats say about MAGA, what they're actually doing. So Hillary says MAGA is talking so violent that there's vi- vi- threats of violence. It's exactly yes. the opposite. The projection racket is that there's guys getting beat up by Rubio, Rubio volunteers, volunteers, right? Volunteers getting beat up going door to door. Or, you know, you make a list and you say, and, and again, I, Judge Kavanaugh having a guy coming cross country there to shoot him. Right, right. But all you have to do is live in the real world and say out loud that you really like Trump and you hope he comes back and people will look at you like you're crazy. And that's not because we did that. It's not because Trump said anything. It's because the media worked together with big tech and said, for example, I, as I've told you guys before, I represent three of the guys who were in jail in, in January 6th in D.C. As an attorney, I represent them. These people are, are put into a situation where the narrative has been it was a violent insurrection. And if you watch the sentences, they're getting sentenced because the D.C. juries are so biased. Why? Because they've listened to the TV. They've listened to big tech and they're getting sentenced to years in jail for what should be armed. For trespassing, misdemeanor trespassing. Right, and, and, so, and so, yeah, you're darn right. People are like, hey, I'm not going to bring that up if I don't have to, uh, that I'm for Trump. I'm certainly not going to answer a pollster. So, and again, I'll give you my best example, just in terms of not understanding the dynamic. In 16, I did, uh, right before the election, the day before, I was chairman of the party in Missouri for a few years just before that. And someone said, oh, Hillary's closing in Missouri. It's, it's within three, she could win Missouri. Trump won by 19. Like, <laughs> No, the, the, the energy is all one direction at this point, like 16. And doesn't mean there won't be some surprises on the Democrat side, probably because they cheat. But it, it, I don't think they can control the energy. Well, Ed, and I don't know, you mentioned Hillary Clinton. Did you see her comments that she made last week about the Supreme Court? You know, there's a Supreme Court case um, that's heading there. It's the redistricting, I think, in maybe Carolina or, or something. And Hillary Clinton came out there and said that the Supreme Court was going to be deciding electors and states. And did you did you see those comments from her? I did, but even more telling was the first, she used the phrase extremist. Right. Right. She said there's extreme. And she lied. Well, she lied, but she didn't lie. It doesn't matter. She's not lying. She's, these are, again, remember the projection racket. These, these are dog whistles. These are dog whistles. They're extremists. I just walked to the Supreme Court this morning. My office is two blocks away. I just walked there. There's a case today on affirmative action that's right. argued. And, and, and there's protesters in front of it, but that's interesting. But more importantly, there were dogs. I walked with my dad. My dad said, look at that. And it was a dog sniffer, sniffing dogs. 
security on cars a block away. Because why? Because Hillary Clinton says extremist. And because Joe Biden stands in front of military and says, there are people in this country who are clear and present danger. And they're the people that we have to worry about. They're the people that are beating up Paul Pelosi. And you say, wait, the guy that beat up Paul Pelosi was living in a Black Lives Matter house with a rainbow flag yes. and was na- nude most of the time. Smoking. Yeah, he's a pothead nudist Looney that, tune. That, makes, that makes handmade jewelry. There, you know. But, you know, and, and it's a very good point. And I've said this before when Joe Biden, people were trying to, people in media, obviously, when Joe Biden first started his extreme MAGA and all of these different f- phrases that they pay these consultants to come up with. But when Joe Biden first started the MAGA and extremist thing, I was saying at the time that, you know, uh, while media was trying to defend it and saying, well, he was talking about the people who rioted on January 6th, I was saying it's about any Republican. It's about any conservative. They're using this as a general phrase. And now we know things like if you're pro-life, that is an extreme MAGA position. If you are have a different position on, you know, affirmative action cases, they're using this as a weapon against Republicans, this whole extremist MAGA thing, it isn't just limited to January 6th. But isn't it because effectively the Republican Party is the Trump Party? Effectively. Well, yeah, but but they're using it. It's one thing to and the the reason that I had a problem with it at the time and articulated it is that it reminded me of what I felt like in 2016 as a Democrat and because I was still a Democrat then and Hillary Clinton talked about basket of deplorables. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of that. And so you had the same thing in 2020. If you if you supported Donald Trump, you, you know, people will look at you crazy. Like, are you yeah. kidding me? Ed just talked about um, his experiences. You know, I've had to, when I've been in spaces, because obviously, you know, most people that I know are Democrats. I'm in these liberal spaces. And so when we talk politics and people who don't know who I am, I don't say anything. Well, I mean, that's, I don't out myself. And that, I, exactly. I, I uh, because of, you know, some people who think they know news or know politics. I was at a, at a wedding recently and I was very vague about what I do because I don't want to get into it because, I mean, at some points, if, if it wasn't a wedding, if I could, if it was just a party, I might have been the disruptor and been like, I'm a Russian agent. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a foreign agent. I'm, I'm a... I, I call up Vladimir Putin on the hotline. I might have, you know, poked the beehive a little bit, but this is a wedding. And so I was just like, um, oh, I'm a but it, independent journalist for the same reason. It's much more diabolical than that, to be honest. And I mean that literally, um, you know, it's meant to demean people. And I, I forget now who it was on Twitter. They were being uh, I, I saw the video and they were saying these are low information voters that will be will be fooled by um, the rhetoric of MAGA and therefore and that and therefore they'll believe all this stuff. And then you say what they're really saying is they don't want the people that they think are dumb or or misled or or easily misguided to be equal to the others. And that's that's the vision here. And so when Hillary calls them extremists and Joe Biden calls them clear and present danger, it's not just a description of deplorables. It's a call to action. Mm-hmm. The action is already to say. This election, they're going to, they're already saying this election upcoming, 2020 was perfect, but this one upcoming, they, they, they probably stole it. The Republican conservatives probably stole it because they're, they're really, these are twisted. These are lawless people. Again, the projection racket, right? That's what they're doing, but they're going to say that. And frankly, you're seeing it uh, in, 
you know, the IRS is an article you had to watch closely. Politico is talking about who the next IRS uh, commissioner would be, but they did a point in acting because why? Because they're adding tens of thousands of agents and, and auditors, and they're going to go after people. At this point, do you really think they will do it based on ge- generic and neutral principles? How can you think that if you're a human functioning in this society? And that's why I go back to, you know, distrust and verify. The starting point is distrust. And the last thing I say is if if Republicans win the House and Senate and go into the same jive, the same Benghazi hearing, Fox News soundbite nonsense, nothing will change. And the American people will get more and more disenchanted. And frankly, the Republicans will deserve to lose. But if they do go different, and I mean that by actually changing the dynamic in the town, D.C., empowering Article One Congresses to actually be involved in, say, war powers and not just rubber stamping. Guys, by the way, the most threatening thing in this country right now is the lame duck Congress, which will start about December 1st. God knows what they'll give away. God knows oh, boy. what will go across the world as a part of the deal between McConnell and Schumer and the and the swamp. It's 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 a dangerous time. Well, if anything is outstanding that needs to uh, needs their attention in December uh, to go to Ukraine, I have a feeling that's when it's going to get pushed through. You're right. Guaranteed. They've already said it. I mean, and, and Lindsey Graham is leading the chorus. He's not you know, it's the Republicans aren't holding the line saying, oh, we just won an election where our people wanted us to be in charge again. Uh, you know, I, I would try, try this out on you guys. I think Joe Biden is actually Hitler. And I'm not joking, because if you look at the kinds of conduct, decide to disregard the courts, you disregard the Congress, you do things that are lawless and you smile and then you vilify your, your enemies and you use the power of the, the propaganda machine that we've never I don't think we've ever had. And, and you're, you're willing to put the country we're, at, we're on the brink of a, of a world globe. I don't know, Ed. I don't think that Biden is like Hitler. <laughs> I don't know if he's that bad. I, actually, I don't know that he's intelligent I don't know if any enough. U.S. politician is as bad as Hitler. <laughs> the Hitler was pretty bad. Tell, him, tell me how he's not using the power of the presidency against his own people. I mean, I get it from a metaphorical kind of point of view, but I think I kind of compare the Hitler comparisons. I feel the same way about the Hitler comparisons as I do about slavery when people started you start using slavery saying, "Oh, like um, Joe Biden talking about the voter laws. This is akin to slavery." No, it's not. Like slavery was a will thing of like where people were like brutalized uh, I, and I I look at Biden and I see a feeble feckless, senile old man. Well past his time. He needs to go out to pasture and there are other people pulling the strings. So I I don't think anyone was pulling Hitler's strings. I think he was the puppet master. Um, But I think... Biden can't even figure out which direction to go when he leaves the podium. Exit stage left. (laughs) No idea. Which which left? This left or this left? Like... And, and it, this is probably since maybe what not not Eisenhower. Um, this is probably Jill Biden will probably end up being one of the most impactful first ladies because she has to babysit him. If oh. you notice everything that Biden, she has to grab it this way, honey. Well, yes, this way. Yes. You know, <laughs> she she's serving a purpose it's, it's <laughs> that like we probably private, can't appreciate. It's his personal nurse. Yeah, it's yeah. his night nurse. Happy to. I'm happy to qualify my. Uh, my description and say the Biden regime is like Hitler's regime. Again, guys, I don't think we've ever seen censorship, the use of the Department of Justice. It's never been like this. Even well, it, it makes it makes Nixon look amateurish in terms of a break in. 
Well, Ed, they almost had, you know, the Ministry of Truth, right? I mean, Nina Jankowitz. I mean, that that right there for me was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're getting to like Goebbels territory. Like, whoa. That to me was like, all right, Biden, you have... The disinformation that's, board. That's too much. That's like a bridge too far. Well, and again, again, I go back to this. There is a law in the books that says spend $1.5 billion to build the wall, secure the border. And Biden has told Congress he won't use it. And we have a country that has 2 million people, probably more like 4 million flooding into the country. Again, that's, I don't know why that's not right there impeachable. If you won't abide by the Constitution, which says keep our borders secure, what are you doing? And again, you know what his answer is? I don't care what you say. I don't care what the people say. I'm doing what I want to do or, or whoever his team is, right? I mean, there's example after example, and we've never had political prisoners like we have with the January 6th people where, and again, I'll get into the details, guys, but there's a made-up charge called obstruction of official proceeding. Never been used in the way it's being used. It's a felony, and it's being used to put these guys away and hold them and then put them away for years. It's never been used for disrupting a, a proceeding that's ongoing. It's been used for bribery, for suborning perjure. Nobody's saying a word. The judges in the District of Columbia are saying whatever, you know, and one judge throughout the charge. So, again, there's a point where, guys, where we're the Fed is pumping money and making decisions. And all by the way, both parties did that. But we're at a point here where we, our country is is starved for energy. And Joe Biden is looking up burning the, the petroleum reserve. That is that really what's supposed to happen? complaining to the Saudis that they won't pump uh, oil so he can win in, in November? Right. What do we need to do here? I mean, what what point, uh, starting a world war, what part of this is not is normal? Nothing. No, we're, wait till the diesel runs out around Thanksgiving. I've been saying for a long time, Ed, for months, months, that uh, Christmas is going to be lean this year. And a lot of that had to do with the supply chain crunch and how Biden hasn't really been able to fully recover that. We had, you know, the the baby formula shortage hasn't, we're not fully back in stock yet. Um, and maybe that doesn't matter to people that don't have small children, right? Like, I mean, my son's out of formula stage, but I was, you know, I'm a newer mom. So this stuff is is on my radar. And I, I've been saying it's going to be a lean Christmas. So y'all need to buy your Christmas presents now because we have about a month left of diesel supply in this country. And when those big rig trucks cannot fill up, and take the toys to Walmart or Target or whatever. A Amazon, you know, delivery trucks can't take it to the warehouses. Christmas is going to be tough this year. So are you expecting we may have some some more supply chain issues? Well, we're still having those supply yeah, chain the, issues the, now. That was coming from China because of COVID, the supply chain issues. Now it's going to be, it's not that the production issue is the problem. They're catching up on production. The problem is we're running out of diesel in this country. We have no diesel... Um, processing mm. plants in this country. We bring, we ship our diesel out, I think it's to Europe, and they bring it back to us. Um, and yeah, we have to pay for that because we don't have, I think it was Jimmy Carter that shut down a lot of the, the diesel, um, the diesel processing plants. But anyway. I'm happy, I'm happy to blame both parties for the next one, but I'll tell you, inflation is a tax on regular people. And, uh, and the inflation is, that's happening to us is a way that this country and this president is not uh, reacting because the, the one thing that you could do to change the equation on the inflation is, is energy prices. And there's nothing he's done to really address. It. I mean, it's not a serious thing. I, I, in Europe, when they panicked, when they realized they were in a situation where they were going to have no uh, fuel, you know what they did? They restarted nuclear plants. They, they actually went out and bought more fuel. In America, we're watching a tax on normal people 
10, 11% inflation. That's what it is. It's a tax on us. And everybody's investments are down, including pensions. And then you're saying to yourself, oh, sorry, there's nothing we could do. Nonsense. If we were serious, we would be fracking, we'd be drilling, we'd be nuclearing, we'd be anything. And we got this guy in the White House who's happy to watch the American people suffer and talk about investment in green energy. I mean, if it was a movie, you'd say, that's crazy. It never happened. And it's life right now. And you know what, Ed, uh, Manila mentioned the supply chain. And I don't know if you guys um, saw the recent negotiations. So I think it was last week. Um, it was a majority of or the Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen voted down the tentative agreement that they had with the, um, between the union and the railroad management. Strike. So yeah, from last ago. Yeah, so we don't quite yet know the end of that story. Things were looking up. But to your point about um, supply chain, that would be huge. If they go on strike, that's a problem. Truckers can't fill up their trucks. That's going to be a major problem. I've been calling a lean Christmas for at least five months. And and it's not looking any better because Joe Biden hasn't. I'm not saying I'm a fan of fracking, for example. Um, The did you know that Russia is controls about 25 percent of the world's natural gas? To, to heat the world. I mean, Russia heats the world, whether you know it or not. Um, second is Qatar. Third is, is the United States. We're actually sitting on a S-ton of natural gas, but because of, at, to Ed's point, the ban on fracking, and I'm not, again, not saying I love fracking, but you got to get the natural gas somehow, and it's a cleaner, cleaner fossil fuel um, in, in the sense that it doesn't emit as much uh, CO2s as r- traditional crude and, you know, you can use, you know, petroleum products to power other things. But to Ed's point, because Biden hasn't moved on any of the fossil fuel activity, we are going to suffer, the consumer. Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just saying serious, serious leaders see what's going on and they would have some. And, and by the way, maybe, and that's maybe I'm being optimistic, maybe the change of the leadership will turn him into more of a uh, Bill Clinton where he wants to make a deal on, you know, like welfare reform. Bill Clinton did that. I mean, I look back at sort of IRS uh, revenue um, acts that were passed with a split government where the president was Democrat and Republican. Last one was uh, Truman with Republican House and Senate, and they passed some, some you know, tax uh, cleanup things. And so maybe there's a way we can envision that. But right now, the American people, we're, I mean, we're in the midst of a really, really difficult time for a lot of Americans. And a lot of the basics are off, including our schools still. And this president is whistling past the graveyard. And I, I know what you're saying, guys. He seems clueless. But there's a point where, you know, go back to Rahm Emanuel and where he spoke a moment of truth. You know, never let a good crisis go to waste. At a certain point, you look around and say they keep making crises that they can manage our, our, our country around. And that's where it feels like we're headed. We're in the midst of one now, but we're headed again because we're going, we're going to be in a recession. We might be in a depression, but we're certainly going to be in a, a changing world rapidly. And who's leading us? Again, I mean, we're at the brink of world war and, and, and nuclear war because we're being led around by who? I mean, who's doing this? Is it Raytheon? I mean, because at a certain point, we, why aren't, there's no way out except some kind of peace agreement that will make nobody really happy. That's what's called to get peace. Otherwise, we're going to a nuclear war. Yeah. And we're just all supposed to all, you know, wear your, get your blue and yellow uh, flag. And, and it's just, I and, don't understand how we cannot be more earnest in declaring the failure of the Biden regime to protect we the people. 
Ed, you know what's what's scary, and and I'll let you make the final point here, is that when recently when we had the the Democrats um, re, basically recalling the letter that they sent to yeah. President Biden about ending the Ukraine stuff and the they support call, for the Ukraine for war, peace. they were asking for peace, which is what traditionally what you would at least in the news say that the Democrats are for, but now they're pulling it back because this has become the party of war. The the they are there for big war money, big Raytheon, big Nancy Boeing. Nancy Pelosi's chief of staff got on the phone and Real said... Real quick, we're like, oh, blame yeah. the staff. You mm-hmm. blame your your poorly paid 23-year-old. Yeah. It, it wasn't by accident that that went out. It went right. out because they wanted it to go out. So, Ed, they, it seems like they want war and they positioned it as the Republicans are the party of Putin. Right. Well, and look, at, the end, at, the, at this point in history, you could say, could we go back in time and use my mantra, distrust and verify on George W. and Dick Cheney and Colin Powell. And I wish we could, right? Because I think we've learned a lot about how misled we were. If we could go back and and try to uh, do something that would stop the Russia hoax that was really a drag on Trump's ability to lead the country during his term, I wish we could, right? We can't. But we are where we are now. And we could just say, hey, this is not, we can't trust what we're being told. And, And we cannot, and the American people can't expect that. And both parties should care. But in the swamp, both parties like power more than they like the truth. And in this case, for example, back to my point, the, the Biden regime as Hitler, why, why do we think that the Biden regime should be in charge of war making? Because you can't say you're not fighting the Russians in a war when you continue to feed the enemy of the Russians military and intelligence and more, maybe more importantly, propaganda guides and propaganda push. So yeah. At a certain point, we're fighting a war, and Biden hasn't asked permission under Article 1 of the Congress. Congress should demand that. Agreed. Agreed. We'll leave that right there, our friend. Thank you, Ed Martin, the president of the Schlafly Eagles, New York Times bestselling author. Always good to have you, my friend. Uh, That's going to bring us to the end of my first day back. Happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, Thank you to our engineer, our producers, Rumblers out there, all you on radio listening, thank you so much. I am Manila Chan along with Malik Abdul. I am back, y'all. I'll be back again tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. See ya. Fault lines.